cheers, Emily. Here, cheers, cheers, cheers. Salud, salud. We're back here in our beloved kitchen. Yes. Can you believe it? It's so much nicer than the uh, than the other rooms. So it's, we're yeah. we're at stasis now. We're in our yeah. Happy it's place, nice to look across habitat. and see you rather yes. than like because I was like sitting in a chair like half looking at the computer to my right, and then you were sitting to my left. So I was like kind of sitting sideways the whole time, yeah. and it wasn't nearly as comfortable as yeah. this arrangement. Yeah, and we uh, we're back with our um, our regular notes as opposed to our like handwritten mumbo jumbo. So it's yeah, it's all it's all nice, and we uh, we're doing our second episode of uh, the rock and roll of, rewind. Yes, our sort of yep. specialty episodes where we're gonna instead of focusing on a current uh, kind of underground band, we're gonna talk about some events in uh, or as we did last week, some conspiracy theories <laughs> that uh, really highlight the history of uh, rock and roll. Yeah, in a really fun way. Totally, and it's it was so fun to do. I think we're gonna do it a lot more often. We're, we're gonna yeah. try to do it probably more 50-50, maybe like yeah. you know thirty. Three seventy. Oh yeah, and it's <laughs> yeah, like and I, I think like, people really like it. I've gotten that, some good feedback. That wasn't feedback. good math, by the way. Sixty-seven. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're preaching the choir, having to do with numbers. I I yeah. Don't. People are like are these? Guys, how are these people about to educate us on history when they don't even they uh, can add to a hundred? Uh, it's podcast math. I can't remember what podcast I was listening to, but somebody did some really bad math and they're like, oh, it's podcast math. Cause you're like in the brain of just having a conversation and you can't, you're like on the spot and it just doesn't yeah, turn out tough. right. So it's that's totally tough. It's not your fault. It's not but your yeah, fault. I finally have, I think this whole thing dialed in. I got my new computer Yay! and, um, we were having error messages out the ass like last time we recorded the podcast so it's like it's a little frustrating it was but it was but it worked out i mean we we kept it was kind of blessings in disguise because we'd go on like some rants that got really off topic from the band we were discussing mm. and then we'd look and be like well shit it's not recording so it was almost one of those weird fateful things where it's like well maybe maybe it's for the best that we yeah. can kind of redo it so it, it's it's all it's all for you know i thought it might we're just have rolling killed, with it i thought it might have killed the energy a little bit like because we we're like fuck not we talked yeah I mean? but so it, I, yeah, I think it's okay i think it's so Sorry. hopefully the sleep or the sleepwalkers were still doing it. Hopefully sleepwalkers enjoyed the episode. There, there's actually, your drinking game for the last episode. <laughs> um, every time we say the sleepwalkers, yeah. like when people say the radio keys, you can. Dude, um, I mean, we we deserve to be called the radio keys dozens of times after that. Oh, it's going to it's going to happen. It's it happens every time. We it's play. that. And then our two names split apart. Radio separate word keys yeah, yeah. It's, it's so like, i'm sure they get sleep several you know word when walkers you, do like an office, you know when you do like an office email and like you send well your name's easy it's like emily you know right. but then maybe a name like christine or Kristen or <laughs> yeah like my name's Stuart. pretty right. easy s-t-e-w-a-r-t i would shoot out emails and then i'd get back steward with a D, and I'm like, oh, people screw up your name all the time. I was and gonna I'm say, like, if, if yeah, like, I'm like it's, that's it, not even a name; that's an occupation. Well, it's also annoying because they're staring at your name. It's, in li- the, it's right there; it in, hasn't changed. Steward. Yeah, steward. What the fuck? So I get <laughs> steward a lot. Um, I get um on the phone. I think I've said this before, but I get Bethany and Beverly for some reason. I'm like, I'm like, hi, is Emily, and they're Are like, those all even right, names Bethany. Anymore? Yeah, they just it's just for, they or extinct. I think it rhymes really well, and people are just or I get Amy sometimes. Or, oh, Amy makes or sense. Emma, whatever. I, I just yeah. kind of answer to whatever, especially if I'm on the phone. I'm like, sure. <laughs> I'm like, let's fuck it. Why let's not? go with that. It's fine. Like, yeah, I'm yeah. Amy now. So when you complain to my boss later, <laughs> no somebody one knows what the hell I won't say about. who, but somebody at work uh, was asking me about my New Zealand trip. And uh, I think she just had a lapse because she's met Tom, um, my husband, Tom, who went to New Zealand with me. And I've known this lady for a year. And she said, oh, 
how was New Zealand with New Zealand with John? <laughs> and I was just like, I literally was just like, it was great. <laughs> like I didn't even, and then we just moved You're on. Like, I, was I like, really hope my husband doesn't find out. I was like, out. I'm not. <laughs> I was, and I knew exactly. Like I knew she in that moment just like yeah. said the wrong name, and I think she knows Tom's name too. But it was just like one of those things where I'm like, I'm not gonna be a dick and be like his. Yeah, like because she yeah, knows his name. It, it was just a weird, like you know, when you just have a brain flare, like when you it's call like, like Cynthia calling us all the wrong names. Like, oh she yeah, she would call you Stuart. <laughs> she would call me Emzer. She would call Alex anything else. I've like, called Alex Dad. Like, I would like I've I've definitely like done shit where I'm just like, what the fuck, you know? So like I I've had those moments and I was like, I don't need to correct her. It doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, some so. really embarrassing slip ups like i i was teaching a kid the other day and uh i i like look at my phone to see my schedule you know and i see this kid kyle is coming up right. so i go out to like the waiting room and i look this i recognize him you know obviously he's my student i, re- yeah. I look him dead in the eye and i go kevin <laughs> and he looks at me like yeah and he like gets his guitar and um, his dad looks at me he goes kyle <laughs> and i'm just like uh, you're like i know his fucking name it's the <laughs> it's the worst thing dude it, it makes yeah. you feel like a mean person but it's no. like shit and I was it was like, just I'm my sorry kyle yeah like i know i know your name like yeah yeah it's rough but but anyway so we're doing the rewind we really enjoyed doing our last one we actually got a lot of positive feedback we had a few like really dumb people just like dismiss it completely they're like online to be yeah. clear not <laughs> like, in person people, were people like, weren't like hey yeah <laughs> people in real life like, <laughs> they're like the only thing interesting about these conspiracy theories is how dumb people are and just like no, shitting yeah. on us it's like dude that's not what we're i mean yeah we're talking about it but we're not like claiming it's real only well me yeah halfway, that's that's but. the whole point is like um we're we're talking about the phenomenon yeah. or we were of of these crazy theories they're like probably the two biggest i would say conspiracy theories Dude, it's up there. There, I mean, there's a lot. I mean, there, lot there's a, there's in a terms lot. Of music no, I'm, I'm, yeah, in terms like, of music, like even ones, in the one I'm lot. talking about today, there's a lot of conspiracy surrounding. Oh yeah, me. yeah. And then there's like there's a lot with Bob Marley's death, Jimi Hendrix's death, Jim Bob Morrison's Marley's is death. Great, and I want to I want to do that one. We'll day, probably touch but, on it one day. We'll probably yeah. do like, I mean, it's it's like definitely fun to do conspiracy theory ones right. because they're so tantalizing you know that's yeah. right word is that a word yeah <laughs> and it's and and i talked about it when i was doing the elvis is alive it's like it the psychology behind a lot of it is like when a huge person disappears yeah. passes away you're calling disappears him from the world. what you're doing no i just mean like this huge <laughs> like uh, <laughs> pivotal character in yeah, history and totally. musician and somebody that people relate to when they just disappear when they pass away a lot of people are gonna go no it's not that easy it's yeah. it's false it and can't it's, possibly it's like, be that it's simple a, it can't just be that he you know died on the toilet or that he died in a bathtub or that he died in a hotel room like that's too boring it doesn't match the greatness of this individual and and i, I don't believe it and and it's a big form of denial so anyway i thought it was fun to cover it but yeah i don't i, I don't believe it we had a lot of people who don't like usually listen to the podcast like reach out to us and say well, i don't usually listen to it but like that episode super intrigued them and, and yeah. then like we had our buddy bozzy like go down a crazy rabbit hole of Paul's yeah like, Stuart didn't even go over the best part it's like <laughs> apparently there was like some dna testing involved which i should have got in into but which uh, i'd never heard of he's I'd like telling me either. this and i'm like buddy i've never heard of it yeah, like, i was either. i was so glad that but that it's was fun because then people come back to us and they tell us dude did you hear about this shit and you're like oh damn and how how many times have you listened to a podcast and they mention something and you're like wait i don't know about that and you end up going down this rabbit hole i listen to a lot of true crime so do you so there's a lot of that one 
and they'll be like, well, it's just like this weird murder trial. And you're like, what? Yeah. And then you Google that and then you're doing that for two hours. So it's like, I, I, I like the, I, yeah, I like being able to kind of throw some, some fun things people's way where yeah, it's like, I oh, this myself could. out in those true crime rabbit holes. Dude, I love it. I heard it. this crazy one. Would you want, <laughs> would you humor me to hear it just for the next minute? Sure. Dude, it was fucked. Basically, this dude and his wife, he was like practicing all kinds of like mass sadomasochistic like like sex acts on his wife and oh, she no. hated it. Oh, so she was man. like really I really want your kid still though. And and he was like, All right, you huh. can have my kid, but you have to let me have a sex slave. And she was like, <laughs> Sure. What? Sounds good. So Oh Lord, so many sociopaths dude, in this scenario. <laughs> gnarly. So, so many this dude what? like and her, they have a kid, and then it's time for her to like own up to her end of the bargain. Oh, so Lord. they like cruise around with the kid and her in the car, and they go uh, looking for hitchhikers because this is like the late seventies. So they yeah, find like so this, many fucking hitchhikers. It's so dude, dumb. They find like this twenty-year-old hitchhiker, yeah, and they get her in the car and yeah. they take her back to the house, and they literally like. It's literally like the end of Pulp Fiction where they keep that dude in the box for okay, like, they yeah. kept this chick in a box for like, like seven years. Okay. It's fucking gnarly. And then she was like, got the Stockholm syndrome. So she was like out of the house and then she would come back. Like it Honestly, was just so, it was disturbing and it bummed me out. I can't, those are actually the stories um, that I really don't like to hear. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, there you go. Or like the capture stuff where somebody yeah. gets just like captured and tortured. Like I can't, I can't handle that shit. No, it's, it's too, tough. it's too drawn out. Hopefully, uh, hopefully that doesn't disturb every listener we have. I was going to say, we're not a true crime podcast. <laughs> we're so we can't just be like, podcast. Hey guys, you want to hear some rough shit? No, so that was, uh, <laughs> damn it. Well, I mean, we're rated like, <laughs> no, you're mature. we're rated like fine. mature. It's all good. We talked about Ted off. Bundy for like 20 minutes on one episode. So I best. think we're, I think we're okay. All right. So let's get into it. Um, our, our um, topic this week is Topics. we tell, so we tell two stories is what we do in these, uh, in these uh, rewind episodes. Right. Um, and this, this, uh, I tell a story, then Emily tells a story or vice versa. And this week is going to be um, Bob Dylan goes electric and Nirvana unplugs. Yeah. So I'm going to tell the story Themed. about the Nirvana unplug concert. And you're going to tell the story about the Bob Dylan going electric concert. Yeah. And kind of like the cultural ramifications, like the buildup, probably the event itself, right. like all this shit right. around all it. the angry British people in yeah. my world. Yeah. <laughs> so fun it's so funny because like <laughs> everyone was so mad at bob dylan and everyone was so happy with nirvana they're like oh my god they're the best <laughs> that's and the fun uh that's the fun uh like sort of yeah it's like completely opposite like despite yeah, nirvana's best of efforts dude like they fucking hated the the spotlight yeah. But despite everything they would try to do, like they're like, well, we'll do Unplugged, but you know, we'll only play like three of our hit songs. And yeah. it still becomes like a transcendent album. It, they're just like, fuck, what can we do to like make people hate us? Yeah. You know, it's an, it's and an I wonder if, story. I mean, before we get into it, I probably shouldn't say this, but I wonder if like the 90s people following music were maybe a little less headstrong about what the artists themselves were doing as opposed to like the 60s were like, no, you should just do your thing and we like that and stay like that because well, like mentality mentality always shifts i think people you with, know yeah i think people with dylan think it was like kind of like a genre change you know what i mean like oh yeah all the, fo be the like folk if, heads were like that's like what i'm calling we them reggae you know what i mean like if like radio keys <laughs> goes not, reggae it's not that drastic though is it though because it's, yeah they were so like there were so few genres back then like if you 
go electric. It's like changing your genre, even though it's like in hindsight, not really. It's but not when you listen yeah. to his songs. You know, it's not a huge. I don't jump. think so for the record. I don't think it is. Yeah. But these, yeah, the folky British people were really pissed off. But anyway, we'll so do. Do you want to uh, go first, or do you want me to go first? I'm fine either way. All right. <laughs> um, I think I'll go. I think I'll go first. I was gonna say cool? I think Is you will because you said you wanted right, to, nice. and I went first last time, so we'll switch nice. off. Yeah, you owe me. No, okay. Yes. All right. So Nirvana was formed in Aberdeen, Washington, back in 1987. Pacific Northwest. Yeah, the Pacific Northwest. It was right in the year I was born, so I'm as old as Nirvana, for the record. Um, feel really fucking old saying that, but there you go. That's kind of crazy to think about. Yeah. I mean, they've been done for, what is it? 20, I don't think that makes 25 sound years. old. That's what I meant. <laughs> he, yeah, he died 25 years ago. Like, Oh, so Nirvana was six years? Yeah. That's no, short. seven years. Yeah, but God, they uh, they were a, they were a, you know, a fireball, a, a meteoric rise, and then just phew, disappeared. Yeah. So anyway, the famous lineup, uh, it consists of Dave Grohl on drums, Chris Novoselic on bass, and of course, you know, the mercurial Kurt Cobain Aww, on guitar. Kurt. So I love Kurt Cobain, obviously. He's one of my biggest inspirations, I think. Yeah, I um, agree with that. I I think that he's just an incredible songwriter. And the fact that he can have these simple, like, stripped-down type song, lyrically, I mean, his lyrics are really bizarre. Like They're imagery. thoughtful lyrics. We've talked about him before where it's like he's not the best guitar player and he's not necessarily like an incredible singer or you know he's a good lyricist but it's like none of that really matters what matters is he's this really just his kind of self and his um sort of genuine performance and you can kind of feel his heart in his sleeve and you just fall in love with kurt when you see him and yeah you know, it's i mean all he's truth. not an incredible singer like uh christine aguilera is an incredible yeah. singer but like <laughs> i love how she's the example well she is an incredible singer like but what I'm trying to he's say... He's not a Chris Stapleton yeah. voice where you're like, oh, this is why the music is good. You listen to him and you're like, it's good because he's so fucking genuine. Anyway, yeah. yeah. So that, yeah, I, I, I agree completely. So basically they came up in this uh, Seattle grunge scene, yeah. which took place between about, uh, I guess, the mid 80s to the mid to late 90s. Yeah. Um, this is with bands like The Melvins, Pearl Jam, Stone Temple Pilot, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains. And it, it really came... They're all pretty big. They're huge yeah. now. But yeah. like at the time, they're all just a bunch of grunge bands in Seattle. Like, can you yeah, believe that? Yeah, how cool. So this is like right around the, sa- the same time that Los Angeles' Guns N' Roses was like completely taking the world by storm. Oh, God. They're kind of, would you call them kind of like the last hurrah of I think they were like... The, they were... A, they were very similar to 80s metal, but I think they were almost like a bridge between they were like what people weren't really they they didn't even realize that they didn't like 80s metal anymore. Like with Guns N' Roses, they're like we kind of like these guys. They're a little bit more angsty, like they're not as like yeah, they do have some songs that are like, you know, party songs or yeah. whatever, but they they're a little bit more grungy like in the way that they dress and all that kind of stuff. So People were gravitating very strongly towards Guns N' Roses. Appetite for Destruction was like an, a ginormous album, and yeah. they were just they were just a huge band. So basically, once Nirvana, Nirvana was kind of like the poster child for the grunge movement, and once right. once grunge kind of took hold on mainstream uh, listeners, it, it was just a wrap for '80s hair metal. It yeah. was over. People, People were weren't. Just, yeah, we're yeah. not relating to that anymore. We're not yeah. interested in that 
I mean, like feel anymore. There's like it's a natural change. Yeah, I mean, there's like this carefree attitude in the '70s. You know, I mean, people were fucking hitchhiking everywhere for God's sake. Like, oh, like God. people Getting did, murdered People were so right. innocent, right? <laughs> like people just. were just yeah, people were just so innocent. It, it was like this innocence is gone by the time the, the '80s, late '80s comes around. There's like the AIDS epidemic. Huge. There, there's yeah. There's just a bunch of stuff that's just not fun anymore. It's like we don't people. want party music anymore. No, they want other shit. Yeah. So basically, grunge style like differs in almost every way from eighties metal. It's like complete opposite. So where there's like point pointed like um, emotional angsty like lyricism and stuff in in grunge music, there's like you know jump jump for like girls 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 yeah. like eighties like metal shit. On in. Gym. So, I hate they're, it so they're much. Completely <laughs> different. They're completely different. So, and with the guitar playing and singing too, like in '80s music, it's so over the top, like and like technically ah! really difficult. Oh, but totally. At, but totally. at the same time, you have grunge music that's just taking off, and it's a completely different approach. Yeah, musically, uh, lyrically, vocally, it's it's funny because sometimes you see shifts in music, and it's like, okay, we move from like, you know. So rock and roll that like blues to rock and roll and like you can see the similarities but with mm-hmm. like 80s metal to grunge i'm just like those are fucking night Completely and day different, yeah. yeah so it's an interesting shift that there wasn't anything in between really well you said guns and roses a little bit yeah but like there wasn't this genre in between that was maybe a mellow or yeah it's it just it's a big fucking it's switch a sea change. it's a huge shift and yeah. it, and and the 80s was a huge shift like yeah. you said, yeah. So yeah. It, it fits the times, yeah. So it kind of drew a line in the sand, and um, it was completely on the other side of 80s metal. Yeah. And the youth really gravitated towards this new grunge thing, basically. Yeah. So Nirvana dropped Nevermind in 1991, and by January 1992, it had sur- surpassed um, every single artist in the world to gain the number shit. one spot on the billboards. This little Yeah, this Washington little band from Aberdeen, band. Washington. <laughs> yeah. And they basically they took out I mean, they took out Michael Jackson. Yeah. For God's sake. He was at he was at number one with Dangerous and they took him out. And Fuck. and it just goes to show like also that they're just inextricably like connected to MTV yeah. before this unplugged thing even happened because the re like half the reason why they were getting so huge is MTV was just playing the shit out of that smells like teen spirit um, music. Cause video. MTV used to be fucking cool and play music and, and play new music. And oh, that was yeah. the fun thing about MTV. It was like, Oh, this isn't, you know, it was, it was like, we, we, you heard it here first. Like mm-hmm. we talked about the first time we saw totally. fucking the white stripes fell in love with a girl. I, the first time I saw it yeah. was on TRL. We used to watch the VMAs that all That crazy the time. music video. We would like yeah, there's a great, prioritize that shit. Yeah, I haven't seen it in years, but there was there's a great White Stripes performance of them where they bring like 50 fans on stage dressed in red and white yeah. and they're all jumping. Anyway, like yeah, MTV used to be fun. I used to watch it every morning with where there was actual music videos and like it used to be cutting edge. It had the battle of like the rock bands between the hives and the vines. Yeah. That? Well, I remember Celebrity Deathmatch too, which oh, yeah, has such a special awesome. place in my heart. <laughs> but, but yeah, speaking of MTV VMAs, like <laughs> Nirvana was invited to play the VMAs later that year, and this is a band that hated success and like really wanted to be that band that like their fans kept in their back pocket. And, you know, they'd make enough money to make a living, but they were never, right. 
you know, in the public eye and all that kind of shit. So they wanted to play Rape Me, which is a song that hadn't even come out yet by the time they're doing these VMAs. And they want to play Rape Me at the VMAs, which, you know, lyrically, probably pretty tough. Is that, I mean, isn't it about... Like it's about being how, taken advantage by maybe like record producers yes, or that exactly kind of thing, and that's exactly what about. Kurt's trying it's not to about talk literally about. Literally being raped by a human it's not being. glorifying rape. It's yeah. not doing anything in no. that vein. But yeah, if you're the TV guy and you're like, uh, yeah, you're not gonna sing that fucking song. I so, get, I get it. Yeah, yeah, and like the great Kurt Cobain kind of way, like he kind of he gave him the old okie doke. Like he started, he, they come <laughs> okay. out, Nirvana's playing, and he's like starts playing "Rape Me." Oh shit! Like start strumming the chords. Everyone in the back's me. like, I don't even fucking cut away. Yeah, I don't even. They have their finger on like the cut button. They're like, they're like ready. They're like say say R say it. Yeah, <laughs> you, can just, you can picture like all the producers just being like, oh shit, fuck. and like holding their heads and just being like, fuck, fuck, fuck. It's live shit, man. I you can't. Even, I don't even know if like Dave Grohl or Chris Novoselic like, knew, knew he was, that gonna, he was do gonna do that. Do that. Oh yeah. fuck, that's so but fun. But of course, he segues rape me the intro. Right into lithium. So then he ends up He's playing a Nevermind hit and like yeah. everyone's happy. But it's just Kurt's way of like sticking it to the man, but still kind of bending the knee to the man, which is kind of what he does throughout his whole career where he right. like hates it and he doesn't want to do it, but then he ends up doing it. Yeah. And it's like, it's kind of a weird yeah. um, situation. And there's a lot of things about Kurt that are kind of contradictory. Like one thing is he... Once, like, Nevermind blew up and became so successful, instead of having, like, this three musketeers, like, all for one, one for all, like, equal split of all the mechanical royalties, which is basically, like, if every time a song gets played, you get a dollar. Yeah. Like, your band gets a dollar. You split it three ways. Right. And, of course, you don't make that much money. So every time a Beatles song is played, Michael Jackson would get paid. Yeah. (laughs) Because that was, like, a huge betrayal. Yeah, let's not even get into that. So with yeah, with the Beatles or with sorry the Beatles with Nirvana, it was split three ways. It was, you know, thirty three point three 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 forever percent. Right. And Kurt went to the band. He's like, I'm the songwriter. I want seventy five percent, and I want it retroactive. That which is insane. And this almost tore up the band. And it's just another example of like him going against what you think he would do. Yeah, because like. You'd think you'd be like, fuck success, fuck money, I don't care. These are my friends, These we're my, doing yeah. this, we're we're still that grunge band from Washington. No. MTV's not going to change us, man. Yeah. But no, he wants the well, money. Well, in his defense, he is writing every song. He is, And yeah. royalties really are about songwriting. Um, and for example, when they play a live show, I'm sure the band gets paid equally. When I'm they sure, tour, yeah. I'm sure they get paid equally, that kind of thing. Um, but he's just talking about, hey, in the future, when these songs are out in the world, I they are, they are my songs, which... You can argue on that side, but then also when you say retroactively, that's really shitty too. Yeah, he wants to he's go going back, back in time. Yeah, so that's really it. shitty. So I don't think he really realized how much money they were making. Do you think somebody was like a bug in his ear? Like some... Uh, maybe Courtney Love. <laughs> I mean, there's this whole... Yeah. Yeah, were they fuck. already? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think they were already together. Um, it's, it's nice to talk about him without talking about her, but, but yeah, it's... I mean, you... Yeah, either way. But Kurt Cobain has a lot of, like, he's such an interesting character in music history. Like, 
he was also like a very outspoken feminist and uh, advocate for gay rights, like long before it was cool. Like Hillary Clinton was still like against that shit. Oh back God, then. yeah, like, you know, like it. It was just on the wrong side of history. Yeah, yeah. And he was on the right <laughs> side of history. He was yeah. very much on the right side of history. Oh, I so love that. He would go out and like play these gigantic shows, and he'd look out and see a bunch of like. Like skinheads and like jocks yeah. and rednecks. Which like early nineties, I just think of like American yeah. History X. It's like, oh, those dudes were just like out and about. And he was just like, what the <laughs> in the nineties? He was just you know? like, what the fuck? So to stick it to him and just piss him off and make him feel uncomfortable, the same thing he always does, making people feel uncomfortable, like playing rape me before lithium, you know, Love like it. all this shit. He would go out and have the whole band wearing dresses, just go out and drag. Just in drag. I and love like, it. He would just love to see <laughs> like these jocks faces, the same people that bullied him in high school, you know, Is that a they dress? would be like, yeah, fucking Nirvana's about to play. What the fuck? You're wearing dresses. <laughs> and they'd be all bummed all out. T- and, like torn. Oh dude, he would <laughs> How love to it. Feel. Yeah. He'd love it. So there, he's just like, he has a long history of doing shit like this. That's great. So now that Nevermind is a huge success, they released a small album and set aside in between, but they didn't really want it to distract from Nevermind because Nevermind was still pumping out singles. Oh, for sure. So they kind of like low key released Incesticide. I think it was also to like, um, what's the word? To, I think their old record label, I think they might have still owed them like a partial album or something like that. Oh, so, they so they're like, here's yeah. fucking Insecticide. Okay, yeah. yeah. Incesticide. Yeah. Incesticide. Yeah. yeah, so they, they, we're done with that, and now they're finally working on a new album. And this album was um, in utero. And yeah. they, like, Kurt really wanted it to be that album that, like, kind of cut away the the bandwagoner fans, so to speak. You know, like, yeah. he wanted to... He's like, this is us at our weirdest, yeah. and if you don't fucking like it, then get out. This, okay. is, gonna, yeah. this is finally going to be the album... That where our quote real fans are gonna love it and our quote fake ass fans are gonna hate us are gonna go oh this isn't all what I expected is gonna be well with the it's world it's not smell smells like Teen Spirit over yeah. and over again because they didn't yeah. love that album they thought it was overproduced they they did not they did not stand by it um, as they had in their other albums so it's kind of interesting uh, that what's it's. it's yeah, it's if you look at the song list, you're just like, really? They weren't proud of this? Holy shit, this is like yeah. all the Nirvana songs you you know and made them sort of, well, so, obviously, yeah, broke I mean, them out. Gigantic. Yeah. And yeah. So In Utero finally is mixed and then remixed by another engineer, producer, and Kurt adds a bunch of more stuff to it with his vocals and more guitar tracks and all this kind of shit. And this album, they think it's going to be like, there's all these rumors about it coming out. Like it's going to be this album that uh, their major label is going to shelf because it's too like Nirvana and like it's not mainstream and the fans are going to hate it and like all this shit. So there's all these rumors about the record label like threatening to shelf it, which kind of makes it, I think, even more like, you know, desired by the fans. Yeah. So this album drops in September 1993. And it just goes to number one immediately, <laughs> like immediately wow. goes to number one again, which is so, so cool because they, they said to themselves, oh, this is going to be genuinely us and fuck people if they don't yeah. like it. And then boom, people yeah. fucking love it. And I don't know if the rest of his band had the same obsession with like sticking it to all of their fans. They're probably <laughs> like, like, just like, I want to make a living off. Dave uh, Grohl's like clearly into mainstream music. I mean, check him out now. He's but. like, I just want to not have to work at wherever anymore. I just want to be yeah. able to be in this band. 
So basically, they released this album that is just like the most pure, awesome Nirvana vision that Kurt Cobain has. He's like, this is my fucking vision for the perfect album. In utero, yeah. In utero. So some tracks off um, it. Yeah, it's like Penny Royalty, All Apologies, Heart Shaped Box, and then a yeah. bunch of weird ones. Yeah. There's a bunch of great ones too, but there's some, some weird ones that if you're a Nirvana fan, you'll love them. And if you're just like a... A listener of like some radio station that plays like top rockets you probably won't love them but that's what he wanted right, right. and and those songs you just named are like some of my favorite uh Nirvana and, and rape me right is on oh, there rape too. Me's on it yeah too, and yeah. it's like it's it's definitely some stripped down stuff and some ooh yeah hard on the sleeve kurt songs but Kurt thought this was going to be the thing that like separated, you know, the, them from the MTV crowd. The it was yeah. going to bring the cream to the top, right? Like oh, it was going to cut yeah. everything out, and then it, yeah. he would just have the best fans. Yeah, I, that's, I I kind of assume that's what his thought process was. Or just the genuine fans. Is, yeah, yeah, the, genuine yeah, fans. the, the fans so that he started with. I thought this quote by Christopher James Farley with Time, um, was an incredible viewpoint on this album and that whole like situation in, in general. utero yeah despite the fears of some alternative music fans nirvana hasn't gone mainstream <laughs> so this potent new album may once again force the mainstream to go nirvana and <laughs> it did it did fuck yeah yeah it did everyone all of a sudden was like not all of a sudden i mean everyone was already all about nirvana they didn't lose any fans basically yeah so MTV is this cultural pillar. We talked about it earlier. Like oh, yeah. we all grew up on it. Right. Um, and it I, used to it used to play music yeah, and music videos. Awesome and like that's music. where you would see mm-hmm. music videos premiere and like when music videos kind of really mattered. I mean, they do today. Yeah. Um, and people still watch them. But yeah, it's it's that was really how you heard the songs. It's just it's just a different yeah, it was a lot of fun. It's totally different. And like so they so MTV came to Nirvana at this point and asked them to do MTV Unplugged. And this seems like another thing that maybe Nirvana wouldn't do because they don't it's MTV. want... Why would they want to get these fans that have nothing... You know, like, if you really believe what Kurt's saying, like, why would why would they do Unplugged, which is literally one of the biggest shows on the planet at this point? Like, just to show you some of the people who played Unplugged. Stevie Ray Vaughan, Aerosmith, Elton John, Mariah Carey, Shit. Rod Stewart, Tony Bennett, uh, Jimmy Page and Robert Plant from Led Zeppelin, uh, Allison Chains, Shakira, Ricky Martin fucking played it in the in the late I love 90s. Ricky Martin. Lauren Hill <laughs> and Alicia Keys. Like oh, these Lauren are Hill. the people playing Unplugged. Like it was so gigantic that Eric Clapton played Unplugged and sold 26 million copies worldwide of Holy his album. Holy shit. It's the it's it still remains like the best-selling live album of all time. MTV, y- Eric Clapton. Yes, Eric Clapton. Fucking a. Think about twenty. Is it because he did? When I saw you, never. He absolutely did that. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to make fun of that song. I know Emily, what it's you're throwing about. Some shade I'm not throwing on shade. These. I'm not. Yeah, no, I just I that song in particular, like I got a little sick of because Tom learned it on bass and was like singing it, and he probably played it like I don't know thirty times in one night, and Can I heard him sing it. Go, I heard him up! sing it thirty times, and I was just like, you know, I used to like this song, <laughs> but any song you hear thirty times. Anyway, so, so no shade on Eric. No shade on Eric to like sit and spin. Like fuck you guys, you know. Like yeah, yeah. In in a way, but yeah. they don't. They go, we'll fucking do it. They say we want creative control. We want Smart. to be the ones that pick the song. Yeah, if we want to play fucking rape me, pick, we're gonna play it. 
We want to pick the decor. We want to pick the musicians that we bring on. The sweaters we're going to wear. Our clothes. <laughs> There's all... So, an interesting thing. Like, So, they literally picked all the decorations. Kurt Cobain did. Yeah. And so, he says... I really want the stage to be decorated with stargazer lilies, and you you know them. They're like those pink and white ones that kind of go out like this. I think it's uh, what our grandma carried in our wedding bouquet. Oh, well, I wouldn't know that. And uh, Both of our grandmas, actually, ironically. Oh. Wow. Yeah, isn't that cool? Coincidentally, yeah. Yes. And uh, black candles and a crystal chandelier. And then the show's producer black asked him. Black candles, okay. Yeah, so then the show's producer asked him after he said this, which is really kind of eerie. He said, you mean like a funeral? And Kurt says, exactly like a funeral. Aww. And uh, so Rough. basically the weird thing about Unplugged is they performed a lot of covers and like a lot of their, quote, B-sides to their albums. Like before Unplugged came out, these songs were not their hit songs. Their hit... They're only three hit songs they played. Um, I think it was like, let me take a look at this song list. I think it was like, Come As You Are. Oh, yeah. All definitely. Apologies. Yeah. But and, again, uh, off in utero, so not yeah. off, never mind. Yeah, Come As You Are, All Apologies. And I mean, they didn't really, I mean, other than that, I mean, they played Polly, they played Dumb about a girl, Polly but these weren't their hits. Good. You know what I mean? Yeah. They weren't their hits. Like everyone wanted them to play, you know, Lithium, Smells Like Teen Spirit. Polly's their song, right? That's not a... Yes. Yeah. yeah okay. I love Polly. Yeah. It's a great song. So they were really like upset that they weren't playing these songs, but it's the only way Nirvana would agree to do it. So there's like some funny like other stuff that happens in this concert, like leading up to this concert. Like the producers were really worried about Dave Grohl because he's like, oh, bah, 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 bah. you know, like if you've ever seen Dave Grohl drum, he's he's just a crazy force right. to be reckoned with. Cool. And so they really wanted to get him to play with like hot rods, those little sticks, you know that. Uh, oh, I bet he was super into that. They're basically <laughs> drumsticks, but because they're a bunch of little sticks that are like bundled together, they play much quieter. Oh, so, um, yeah. And like, it's like I, a little bundle of, yeah. And Nirvana was so moody at this point because they weren't getting along. Like people were like, and they were also super scared that they were going to pull out of Unplugged. So they were like walking on eggshells around Nirvana all the time. So this is how Shit. they like presented the idea of, of Dave Grohl playing with hot rods. They, they got two Christmas presents and they wrapped them up. They wrapped up some hot rods and they wrapped up some brushes and gave them to Dave Grohl and they're like, Merry Christmas. And Weird. Dave Grohl like opened them and he's like, Oh, these are cool. I've never gotten these before. And just like walked away. And they're like, Man, we really hope he gets the point. <laughs> <laughs> we hope he fucking How plays silly is them. That, though, but it's really silly. And and like I'm not a drummer. Um, but if I was about to play a big MTV show, I don't think I would pick a tool that I'm not used to. You've never playing. used before, yeah. Yeah, you don't you wouldn't you wouldn't be like, Oh, I'm gonna play, you know, with my new shit that I don't use all the time. No, you're gonna go comfort. You're gonna go you're going to play a guitar that you play all the time or you're going to play the drumsticks that you play yeah. that you're used to holding because that's like your physical tool is a big part of anyway being so, comfortable on stage. So Nirvana brought in a few special guests to play with them at this concert. They they invited Pat Smear who is um, a childhood friend of I think one of the Meat Puppets which were two other guys. The Meat Puppets are another like Seattle grunge band that Kurt really looked up to and they were playing three Meat Puppet songs in this in this concert. So they get Chris and Kurt Kirkwood from the meat puppets to okay. play. And I think Pat smear knows them as well. 
and apparently Pat Smears, like in like he plays guitar, and his involvement in the band apparently like brought the joy level, like the morale was greatly brought up by Pat Smear. He was yeah. going on tour with them and stuff, and he was really good friends with Kurt, and he just brought like this joy and energy to the band that right. Dave Grohl claims that they lost like a long time ago, probably Aww, around the same Sometimes time. you need like another party to come in and be excited yeah. about it. And then they that also gets you into it. Yeah, yeah, and then they also had this incredible cellist, Lori Goldston, who um, she was a really unique character because she was uh, she was unlike many classical uh, classically trained cellists at the time because she also had this ear from playing guitar growing up. Where it, there's kind of like a culture where like if you play guitar in a rock band, you're not like handing. I'm not like handing you like written music, right? Yeah, you're I'm just like, going. No, it goes like this, and then it goes yeah. like that, and hmm, 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 and I like hum to you or some shit like that, yeah. right? So like, she was someone who, while she was playing a classical instrument, was really good at picking up these kinds of vibes because she also played in like rock bands and shit. That's cool. Growing up, so yeah. she was like the perfect fit for this band because Kurt yeah. really wanted a cellist, but he didn't want like a a stuffy classically trained cellist. So that's like, where are my chats? Yeah, yeah, of course. I don't know why so Lori Goldston like, like stepped in perfectly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and at this point, it's no um, surprise to anyone that Kurt Cobain was severely suffering from drug addiction, oh, heroin, heroin addiction specifically. Yeah. He also had incredibly bad stomach ulcers at this time. Whoa. Um, from... His stomach was hurting all the time. Um, um, and your stomach, and my old uh, Berkeley roommates would tell me this that are really into sort of like physical turn, you know, versus mental. Um, Your stomach is your emotional center. I actually do believe that. No, I do too. So when your stomach hurts, your emotions are going to be off. Well, when your gut biome's off, you're off. Yeah, it's it's huge. It's like if you have like a little ache in your knee, it's not going to be the same as your stomach because that's very like, it's it's, again, it's your emotional center. There's a lot of scientific studies that show that your gut biomes have like direct connections to your emotions and shit. I totally believe that. So drink your kombucha is what we're saying. Drink that kombucha. Do not get ulcer. But yeah, he was doing shit tons of heroin. There's that's a rumor. Does heroin cause stomach I don't ulcers? Not to sound so. like an I idiot. Think, I don't know how. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not a. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> no, you're, you're not. <laughs> so it's also rumored that Pat Smear was brought in to play guitar for Nirvana at this point because Kurt was suffering from some severe like gnar- gnarled hand syndrome. Aww. That's not a real. Uh, ailment, no. but basically, like, uh, but from, I, I feel like I can picture what from you mean. So much drug abuse, he, he, his hands were like becoming well, almost useless. When you're fucking shooting heroin yeah. into your arm, so his so hands were becoming gonna... almost useless. He was having a hard time playing guitar at this oh, point. Oh, that's really heartbreaking. Yeah, so that's another reason why they brought in Pat Smear, allegedly. I, I mean, I don't want to shit all over Kurt's memory if that's not true, but it's, it's alleged at this point that that's so he's gonna maybe why. do a simpler version of his guitar parts, or he'll play some of it and then his hands will get too fucked up and it'll sit out like that kind of shit like he, okay. there were a lot of songs that he did not play guitar in i i, I feel like unplugged. i have a visual memory of him in his little sweater uh at unplugged yeah. and he's just singing and i'm like oh okay and and it's still so fucking powerful it doesn't take anything away but okay i didn't i didn't know that hand so it's background. like this crazy build up they have two rehearsals leading up to this with this full band of just of, two, huh? Yeah, of weirdos that I was telling you about. You know, the, the meat puppets. <laughs> We've got a cellist. Lori, we got okay. Pat Smear, you got right. Chris, you got Dave Grohl playing. I don't even think he'd even played these new sticks at this point. And Kurt. And uh, they're playing at some like weird like arcade or something. Like they're rehearsing at some weird place in New Jersey. 
And uh, apparently the rehearsals are not going well. They're super unfocused. Anything could fall apart. Like they don't want to go over the songs over and over again. Uh, The Meat Puppets guy, he said it perfectly. Uh, I think it was Kurt. Uh, The other Kurt, sorry. Yeah, the other Kurt. He said um, something like the Nirvana was very much like our band in rehearsals where they would want to get a song down just enough so they could play it front to back and they never wanted to get into it anymore because... I mean, that was grunge, right? That was like the yeah. grunge idea. Like, we want to play this song. We want to play it with emotion. We don't want to play it with like technique and elegance. Like, we want to play We don't want to play it out. Emotion. And if so we get tired we've done of it, it 20 times, yeah. Yeah, if we get tired of it, then we don't have the emotion anymore. That's right? a weird philosophy. I, I like to think I get that, but as somebody that's in a band that plays songs and rehearses yeah. the same songs over and over, it's like it, it does not at all suck the soul out, especially when you play it live. The energy mm. comes from playing it live. We've totally. definitely played shit in the studio where it's like, all right, we're, we're done with this one for this rehearsal. Like, we're just done. Like, so we're going to come back to it. Yeah, so, so yeah I, I get like it. terrified that they'd cancel, right? Yeah. So everyone was walking on eggshells around Kurt and around the band in general. Um, like, they had fake names in the hotel. This is when Kurt was so gigantic that he was one of the biggest pop stars on the planet. Like, one of the most recognizable celebrities on the to planet. To his horror, probably. To his horror. <laughs> Aww, so they would have yeah. to go to, like, ho- hotels with, like, fake names. And they were going to... They're they're going to like the the uh, live taping of the dress rehearsal, and um, there's a bunch of fans that find out that Nirvana's staying at this hotel, and they start screaming at him like, "Give oh us your Lord. autograph! Give us your autograph!" and chasing him and like chasing the band, and uh, the second they don't give him the autograph, this group of fans turns into a bunch of douchebags and they're like fuck you fuck you and like the memory is like i can't believe how quickly these fans went from we loved you to fuck you you know so like they're driving off and uh, and allegedly they're driving off kurt rolls down the window and spits a loogie on him (laughs) so kurt is like again like this weird you know this (laughs) this two-piece thing where he's like I love my real along. fans. And don't you think your real fans would be the ones that find out that you have a hidden alias at a hotel and just want to see you? Like, I don't know. And then don't you, you think spin on him. So don't it's you like, think they'd kind of respect I mean, your I would privacy and personality? I would personally. Yeah. So, so they, get to the, they get to the dress rehearsal. Everyone's terrified that they're going to cancel last second. Like there's that vibe. So basically MTV's terrified. MTV's terrified. And like their managers and shit. Okay, yeah, got it. Because if they don't do it, this show is fucked, right? So they're and they've walking probably been on eggshells. Yeah. Um, there's like this, apparently there's like this really intense like point where there's, they instruct no one to talk to Kurt Cobain. They're, he needs a liaison. <laughs> you have to talk to his liaison. No one talks to him. Like so a this, translator? Yeah, yeah. So, this, <laughs> so they're like filming it and this uh, camera guy just walks up to Kurt and he's like, hey man, uh, what do you think about this shot right here? And Kurt's like, oh, I'd love that. And like everyone's like, what the fuck are you doing? Don't talk to him. And like Kurt's <laughs> totally cool with it. So it's like there's like weirdness, you know. There's like a definitely like thick weirdness in the. In That's the air totally weird, concert. yeah. And um, I thought it was really interesting that the the way that they brought the audience for this show is they had this tiny little um, advertisement in the back of Spin magazine that was for the Nirvana fan club. Yeah. And if you like, this was back before Instagram God, and spin is Twitter that old, huh? and all that shit. And um, yeah, it's it's old as fuck. And really? this was like back before, th- like the only way you can really get close to your band that you love is by joining their fan club. And like, yeah. And, they, and then they would hit you up and be like, hey, we need you to like canvas flyers for this show coming Aww, up. You know, yeah. and like, that's what a fan club was. So basically, it was like a fake, it was like a fake um, ad 
for a fan club. And really what it was is to try to figure out who was dedicated enough to Nirvana that they wanted to join the fan club. Because once people filled out this information and sent their information to Nirvana to join the quote fan club, they sent them an invite to come to the unplugged showing. That's really cool. Yeah. So these so, were the, so that audience is these is were the true... quote real fans that yeah. Kurt was looking for. Oh, that's really beautiful. Because yeah. MTV could have been really shitty and just been like, we're gonna get some beautiful sixteen-year-olds <laughs> to sit in the front. Well, this and I mean, like, there was a bunch of stories. Really weird like, about they it. wouldn't let people with like white t-shirts sit in front and like just because it like looked bad on screen. Like there was Visually, a lot of like uh, MTV it, bullshit. Yeah, I mean, I, mean I, I get it because their cameras are shitty so whatever but they're like that's gonna reflect nirvana better. like signed up right yeah so well they had creative control so that's yeah so as part. weird as kurt cobain was and trust me he was really weird and kind of standoffish in his later days he was mm. at the end of his rope he was drug addled i was gonna he say was, he's strung out on heroin so he can't be stomach normal was killing him oh baby he uh was having marital trouble with Kurt courtney love he had band trauma with the fucking payments like he had this hatred for himself for being so famous. So he was like at the end of his rope. Um, and so it's understandable that he was so fucked up. Right. Right. And um, despite all of that, he still says before the show, he's like, I want to walk around the block and meet all my fans. Beforehand. Oh, that's really beautiful. So Nirvana goes out into the line and meets everybody. And he famously says he has like a cup of tea in each hand. He famously says, I'd give you all a hug, but I've got my hands full. <laughs> he's so. got a cup of tea in each hand yeah a cup of, well he drank penny royal tea that's why he that's drank his penny shit. that's why he okay. wrote that song penny royal tea be, because apparently it was good for his stomach tea. which was as you know is like an all fucked up is it like a black tea i, I don't really know I'm penny royal. i'm assuming if it. it's british it's kind of like a anyway so not important that's really show, sweet though that everyone's tense everyone's tense before the show dave Grohl is laid back as fuck he's like drinking beer and like chilling is he gonna play his weird bundle of sticks or is he gonna <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll, we'll get to that and like so a weird aside here is Kurt Cobain was really good friends with this comedian called Bobcat Goldthwaite and it's so funny it sounds out of character but there could be rumors about them having some kind of relationship I don't think that there was for the record oh interesting but, uh, basically Kurt would sequester himself with Bobcat um and that was he, like his kind of energy that he wanted yeah. before the show and he okay. did so before the show. And, I fucking uh, get it, dude. And yeah. so Bobcat has a quote about this, uh, you know, this lead up to the concert when they're in the green room together and just the two of them are Aww. together. And Bobcat says, I definitely did feel often that it would just be him and I kind of a little bit of a padding between him and the world. Aww. So he and Bobcat were really close. And a lot of people might say that there was like some kind of thing with them. And people are always going to say being that such yeah. an advocate for gay rights back in the day when it, like I said, it was not common to do so. Yeah. So people of course, you know, thought things. Um, but anyway, Bobcat is an interesting comedian and also a really interesting person to look up if you haven't. Yeah. Um, I've never heard of him. I would have remembered his name. <laughs> yeah. Another funny thing is like, if you remember the concert, if you watch the concert, like Kurt Cobain is in this weird like office chair the entire concert. Is it an office chair? Yeah. I can picture him in his little sweater. Oh man. I have to. Yeah. I wish, yeah I, we got to watch this after we finish. an office chair? Yeah. And <laughs> like, he, so he comes out and sits on the stool that they provide him like before the show starts officially. I think they did their like dress rehearsal or whatever. He like takes the stool, he brings it into like the control room. Yeah. He takes one of their chairs 
and he says, I'm going to use this one. (laughs) (laughs) I like this one. And they're like, it looks like shit, but whatever makes you happy, Kurt. Like, okay. (laughs) It looks like shit, but whatever makes you happy. So they finally start the concert. Oh, my God. And Kurt, again, takes a dig at his massive fan base. He goes, this is from our first record. Most people don't own it. (laughs) And they start playing about a girl. Yeah. And uh, it was a really tense moment because, again, if you remember, everyone, no, like the rehearsals sucked. Everyone's walking on eggshells. There's like this weird tension in the room. No one knows if this is going to be a good show. Yeah. They're not playing any of their hits. Like They're just like, well, they're all on stage. This is going well so far. <laughs> it was like this crazy high wire act that mm-hmm. that nobody knew what was going to happen. You yeah. know, nobody knew what was going to happen. So again, the only real hits that they played were Come As You Are, Polly, and All Apologies. And even Polly wasn't like a hit. It was just off of Nevermind. Yeah. It's so, kind of almost like a B-side if there was such thing in, on CDs. <laughs> so they play a yeah. bunch of awesome music. Uh, they play covers by the Vaselines, uh, Jesus Don't, Doesn't Want Me for a Sunbeam. Jesus Don't Want Me for Sunbeam. And that so one, Chris Novoselic plays accordion in. Which what? is awesome. And it's like... He's just like, hey guys, I also play accordion. And they're like... <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. They play The Man Who Sold the World by David Bowie. And oh, this is a funny God. moment in Unplugged History because little does everyone know until the song that Kurt is actually playing through his Fender amp and all of his pedals that he always plays with. So it's not... He, all he has is an acoustic guitar, but he's literally playing through exactly all of the his same. shit. Yeah. And so what they did was they took his Fender amp and they like, they hit it and like made it look like a monitor wedge to uh, make it seem like it was still acoustic. You know what I mean? But it's never quote unquote acoustic where he's ju- like, it, I mean, I guess it's called unplugged, but did they literally mean that it's not amplified at all? Yeah. that's. What? What, I mean, I think... I mean, <laughs> this is like a sleight of hand. I thought it was hilarious that like they disguised his amp. Like they, they built like they're like, you're going to have computer. a microphone, but we're going to pretend that your guitar is just fucking acoustic. Yeah. So, okay, whatever. So they, and then another sure. incredible yeah. moment is he plays Penny Royal T by himself and he like fucks up in the middle of it and he has like Aww. a pause. But it's like one of the most honest moments in Nirvana's history I love because it. before it was like there's this crazy power trio and like Nirvana's Nirvana, you know, right. they're like a force and Kurt Cobain is an interesting character in all of this, but it's hard to ignore the drums and it's hard to ignore Chris Novoselic being like a six foot seven dude fucking is jumping he that around. Fucking He's big? huge <laughs> on stage and like, damn but this is like a moment where everyone sees a stripped down nirvana with just kurt playing guitar and they're like wow this guy's a good looking dude like this guy's a fucking rock star like everyone notices for the first time maybe not for not everyone notices for the first time but it's like one of the first moments where it was stripped down to just kurt cobain yeah and he's he's already breaking your heart just for everything Mm -hmm. that he is and he's not portraying but but he's putting out there and then he fucks up and he has this Ugh, vulnerable moment that and he breaks finishes your heart the song. yeah he finishes the song and it's an incredible song um and then they uh they play three meat puppet songs so they play a bunch more nirvana songs penny royalty uh like i mentioned dumb Polly, on a plane something in the way and then they oh, play I love something in the way yeah and then they start doing the meat puppet so he, he calls these guys did, out yeah. uh what was it Cor- uh curtain uh 
Corey or some shit like that. God damn it. <laughs> they all have the same Anyway, name. fuck it. Kurt and Kurt? The meat puppets come out. <laughs> we know and, one of them is Kurt. Okay. <laughs> and he introduces them as the brothers meet. He's like, the brothers meet. <laughs> and uh, they come out, they play, the the and they play some of the best songs on this album, especially what I think is the best Meat Puppet song that they play is Lake of Fire. Oh, shit. Where do bad folk go, go when, when they, they die? die? They don't go oh, to heaven. Yeah. So it's like a classic time. And he, he specifically requested it that they don't bring it more down into his key because he wanted to strain and he wanted to sound like oh, he was like up there. And it's an incredible vocal performance. Uh, he's not playing guitar in it. Um, this whole fucking... Um, if you haven't watched this, please watch this immediately. Like, yeah. Um, and so then they finally have All Apologies, which uh, is an incredible song. Which is probably, if you've seen any footage from this concert, the the one you, the song you've seen, I would guess. Because I think that or, performance... Oh, wait. Or sorry. Maybe you saw the performance of lead bellies where, where did you, did you sleep, sleep last, last night? night okay i was gonna say that's the two that i have fresh in my brain as like i've definitely seen those as far as front to back i feel like it's been either it's been a while or so yeah. the majority of artists who've appeared on this show on unplugged um would record two or three even performances and then pick and choose their favorite ones. Oh. Right? It's, so it's not yeah it's not live right well, it, it's it, not it, i mean it's not live on air Right, it's it's, yeah. it's it's a live show, but it's it's they're re- they're pre-recording it. Yes. Okay, got it. But a lot of bands would do two or even three sets. Right. Nirvana did all of it in to one. To the same audience? How boring. Yeah. <laughs> and they filmed the entire performance in a single take, or they would sell it out three times. Sorry, do you mean that bands would play three sets of the same songs yes. to the yes. same audience? I Maybe not the same audience. It could be different. Right, but uh, yeah, that's weird. I uh, I. I get it because it is, yeah, I get it, but I, I think that's a weird way to do so it. So the other incredible thing is, like I said, they did it all in one take. Right. 14 songs, one take, no shenanigans. At one point, uh, <laughs> at one point, um, Kurt goes over to this girl in the front row and he says, uh, he offers her his drink, his tea, and he goes, wait, are you pregnant? And she goes, no. And he goes, okay. What? Yeah. Who knows what's, what's in, in there? That drink? <laughs> that's like a fam- that's another like famous moment that oh, people talk about. That's a little creepy. <laughs> oh, it's all rufflin'. No. But uh, so after this chilling rendition of Where Did You Sleep Last Night, which it, like has this it it feels like it's about to fall apart at any minute and it just grows and grows and it's intense at first and then in the last chorus he picks his whole vocal performance up an octave and screams huge, it huge yeah. and then the whole thing comes to a screeching halt and he like go like takes this deep breath and he goes the whole and then his eyes open and he like he just has like this pregnant pause and it's just like one of the most intense moments in in live concert history you'll ever see and he finishes it with night through and then all the rest of the band comes in and they finish it so they walk off stage he signs some autographs they go back the producers are like man you guys gotta get back out there and do an encore and he says fuck you guys how are we gonna top that how are we gonna top that yeah so he doesn't do it. And of course, the whole time they were trying to get him to play like more songs. They're so. like, why don't you go out there and do uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, it, I mean, at this point. Like now we're done. They're, they release they release this shit about, you know, I think it's in uh, December of 1993, I believe they release it. Okay. December, November. I, I, my memory fails me. But... um. Not not five months later, Kurt Cobain is found dead in his house. 
Um, he shoots himself. Uh, the, the determination was death by suicide on April 8th. Sorry, April 5th was when he allegedly died. April 8th was when he was found. Yeah, because it wasn't he had he had a house like kind of out in the... In Seattle. He actually had it in Seattle. It was, in, was kind a, of in the boonies, right? And I think where he was found dead was like a little... He was like in a garden. Bungalow yeah. greenhouse kind yes, of thing. Yes, yes. Right, okay. So C- Cobain's death certific- certificate, death certificate stated that his death was a result of a contact perforating shotgun wound to the head. Okay. And the entire world mourned. Everyone. Of course. Everyone was like... Sorry, what year is 1994? 1994. I thought it was that soon. Yeah, after. Okay. Yeah. he. They still had two two albums on the Billboard Top 200 at this point. They still had Nevermind and they still had In Utero on the Top 200. Like, they were one of the biggest bands in the world. Um, Unplugged had just come out. I know. Just, just to kind of sort of underlie how big of a moment it was even for people that maybe were kind of out of it. Um, I, I was five and you were seven when this happened. And I remember our parents talking about it. I know that sounds like a faked memory, but I remember, I remember teachers in elementary school talking about it. I remember our mom being like, being like, Oh, this tragedy happened. I mean, my teacher. Yeah. You're yeah. yeah. And I, and I, and I know that sounds good. And our parents were, I think they were, I mean, they're clued into what was going on, but they were also parents of young kids. So they weren't necessarily going to be like clued into the t- the mtv generation and they they were definitely maybe a little affected by it so because it's just this yeah. this big story like imagine um any i'm not going to use an example because it's creepy to say it but like if if any huge pop star right now is commit suicide it's like whoa it would be like if post malone committed suicide. i didn't wa- <laughs> i was gonna say i didn't want to use an example but yeah, yeah it's like it's I'll like do it. i don't care every, like, ah, fuck it it's not real um yeah. but it's like every everybody's kind of like it's it's really I mean, um, that rare, uh, hip hop artist that passed away this year, like that was pretty big. Um, there's a lot. Was it triple X? Uh, nope. Uh, Ariana Grande's boyfriend. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry. I can't remember his name. Mac Miller. Mac Miller. Yeah. yeah. That was, that was, that was a big hit to everybody. And it's, it's shocking. Cause it's like, oh my God, they're young and they're talented and they're on the yeah. top of their gang. And he was, he was a, by all accounts, like the sweetest guy on the planet. But anyway. Oh, absolutely. So, so, so yeah. So, so it's, it's huge. was one of the biggest not just rock stars, but celebrities on the planet. Yeah. Um, and the entire world was in mourning. I mean, there are definitely theories that dispute that it was a suicide. I'm not trying to get into that right now, but you can go yeah, down a rabbit hole. We can't go down that and rabbit they're hole. not, like, the theories about Kurt not committing suicide are not even as crazy as, like, w- the shit we did two weeks ago. You I know? watched a whole, uh, I watched a whole, there's a whole documentary um, about how it's kind of physically unrealistic yeah they're saying that he well i think the two things that they like to point to with regard to it not being a suicide is the amount of heroin that was in his system was unbelievable for to be able to to pull a trigger and then the other thing is like he would have to like pull the trigger with his toe with his toe yeah all this kind of shit so maybe assisted suicide maybe murder Uh, i don't i don't think it's worth going down the rabbit hole we're not trying to make this another conspiracy episode but it's it's (laughs) worth going down the rabbit hole Yeah, as far as all accounts you know um but yeah he had a suicide note um the memorial was huge courtney love read his suicide note um for remember this yeah, yeah for it um, and then posthumously, MTV Unplugged was released on November first, nineteen ninety. It releases after he passed. Posthumously, away. yeah. Fuck. 
I they didn't were know that. gonna do a double album with like a bunch of like live electric tracks and unplugged, uh, but then they, but then the like the whole situation was too emotionally draining for Chris and Dave. So that's how I know they still cared about him and loved him. Oh, they definitely did because yeah. they couldn't sit through these recordings and listen and go, you know, oh, we want this one and not this one. We they were like, just fucking that. take unplugged like, and cut take, that. Yeah. yeah, cut it or not cut it, but just yeah. have that print. Just print that. Yeah. So again. Just to talk about the relevance of Nirvana and the relevance of this album and the relevance of this moment in history. The following week, it debuted at number one on the billboards again. It Holy sold 310,000 copies in the first week, which was Whoa. the highest of Nirvana's entire career. Damn. So we're talking Nevermind in utero. It was certified okay. five times platinum. Fuck. 5.1 million uh, sold in the United States by 1997. And then it also won the Grammy for Best Alternative Music Album in 1996. Oh, who the fuck is going to beat that? No. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. It's kind of like when Justin Timberlake beat Johnny Cash for the, I, for the VMA oh, or whatever. Do you remember his speech, it though? It was incredible. I was crying. It made, me, it made me love Justin Timberlake. I love Justin yeah. Timberlake. I was like crying because he gets on stage and he's just like, no. <laughs> he's just yeah. like, this is not mine. And he, he starts getting emotional. Yeah. And then he like gives it to yeah, He's yeah. like, this is Johnny Cash. Absolutely not. Yeah. Like, and it makes he's me like emotional so... thinking about it because I'm oh such a God. huge Johnny Cash fan. Me too. Like, anyway, so I just want to kind of cap this off by saying um, Nirvana and Kurt Cobain especially were hugely influential to me. But when you really look at this moment in history, it's like it's this, this was his swan song. You know, it was. Yeah. They didn't know it going in, but it was the biggest moment of his career. It made me like discover acoustic music, which led me to Americana music, which led me to play what I play now. Yeah. So you started full electric, full. Yeah. Lead. Yeah. Which is so cool that your trajectory is really cool. But yeah. But yeah, that's that's interesting that a Nirvana album is what brought you into yeah. that world. That's yeah. that's so unique. And then and then it like went on to like Black Hole Motorcycle Club and Tom Waits. And oh, it, yeah. but it, it was always Nirvana Never mind. In utero. Oh shit! They have an unplugged album. I don't like acoustic music. Oh shit! This album's incredible. Yeah. So isn't oh that's a beautiful way. So to, I just yeah. want I just want to end it with saying rest in peace, Kurt. Yeah. Love Kurt Cobain. One of my what a masterpiece. He's like for my like Mount Rushmore of like influences. He's definitely top top four for me. That's awesome. So love Kurt and uh, um yeah so i think we're gonna take a small break and then we're gonna go right into yours next right sounds good all right all right we're back all right no so commercial <laughs> breaks because we don't have any sponsors yet but maybe one day maybe one day um, this one goes out to d'angelico guitar for <laughs> my super sweet guitar to the eight dollar bogle merlot we're drinking which and is bogle <laughs> Merlot from Trader Joe's. Right in our price range. Anyway, um, so I, I knew uh, that I was going to do Bob Dylan going electric. And we talked about this like when we did our first rock and roll moment thing. I was like, okay, what's a, what's a big moment that I am interested in? And obviously I'm a huge Bob Dylan fan. Um, our mom spun Nashville Skyline like nonstop when we were growing up. Absolutely. So that was the first Bob Dylan I ever heard. And Can still to this secret? day, my favorite album. What? Nashville skyline to me is so like thoroughly connected to my memory of our mom. Uh, I like, God forbid if anything happened to her, like I could never listen to that album. It's, like, it's, it would, it would, 
it would be so heartbreaking. I, I agree. I mean? And I also feel that way about like uh, Cat Stevens with mom because yeah. she totally got me into Cat Stevens and spun those records all the time on a Bone Jenkin. And then also uh, some a couple Tom Petty songs. I'm like, these yeah. are like too connected with, with mom. She also was known to get down with Johnny Cougar Mellencamp. Dude, I fucking <laughs> love John Mellencamp. Come and we're not. Baby, make it hurt so Little big houses for you and me. <laughs> ah, for you and me. I love, anyway. I love John Mellencamp. But so, so I was going to look into the Bob Dylan going electric and I was like, okay, where the fuck do you start? Um, because I don't want to get too like Bob Dylan was born, you know, like I didn't want to start at the very, no, no, I didn't want to start at the very beginning and you didn't, you know, it's like you kind of start where, where it makes sense. And you you have to, I mean, for any, for anybody listening, it's like maybe, you know, they have no reference of Bob Dylan. Yeah. So I am going to start basically um, because like you got to set up like how you, well you have to you, and you have to set up for for me looking into this whole incident or or kind of uh, change in his musical career of like him moving from like acoustic folk guitar and harmonica and like really like poignant vocals to electric more like rock and roll. It's like okay, where did it really start? And I started looking into where he really started and it, it's it's not pure folk and that's the part that interests me the most so he's uh so bob dylan's real name is do you know robert zimmerman got it nailed it hell yeah so uh so Booyah! from uh minnesota um yep. so born in 41 i'll just say it uh so as a kid apparently he listened to a lot of blues and country and that comes in later obviously um and then when he was a teenager he was in a rock and roll band. That's weird. I didn't fucking know this. Yeah. Um, and so in high school, he played guitar and he sang in a rock band. I couldn't find the name. Um, but and they, when would this, what era would this be around? This like? is the, so 41 he was born. So this is like 50, late 50s. So it had to be like rock and roll, like oh, Chuck rock and Berry roll is kind of. So he cut, so they would, they cover songs like Little Richard oh, shit. and fucking Elvis. Right. Okay. Um, and there was one event. So at a high school talent show, uh, he's he, incredible to picture. In your he, head. yeah. And Bob Dylan always looks really little to me, and like like a like really young and small. Yeah. But I'm just picturing like 16 year old Bob Dylan, and I'm like, oh my god, he's just a little baby. Um, but so they uh, at a high school talent show, his band covers Danny and the Juniors. Rock and roll is here to stay, and it's so loud that the principal cuts the mics. So that's a little that's a little Bob Dylan high school moment <laughs> that's awesome um, and then and then uh, uh i think what i think is uh also important is that in uh in 1959 three days before buddy holly's death bob dylan sees bob dylan at age 17 sees buddy holly play how many days three days three before days but buddy holly died for the day the music died yeah so january 31st 1959 three days before buddy holly passes away that was the big he performs bopper yeah the big bopper and richie valens richie valens yeah and, and who then is young they're all kids. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, Don McLean writes American yeah. Pie. Um, so anyway, so, uh, yeah, so Bob Dylan's 17. Um, and in, so later, do you know that Bob Dylan won the Nobel uh, Peace Prize? <laughs> I had Nobel no Prize. idea. So in his lecture, he says, uh, he looked me right straight dead in the eye and he transmitted something, something I didn't know what, and it gave me the chills. Talking about him and Buddy, him seeing Buddy Holly yeah. right before he passed away. So that, that's huge, yeah. right? Um, and so in a... Uh, so uh, Bob moves to Minneapolis after uh, high school and enrolls in University of Minnesota, and he shifts his. Wait, focus he went to the University of Minnesota for less than a year. Oh, isn't that where, <laughs> Al- isn't that where our brother went uh, to get his PhD? Uh, University of Minnesota is that what they call it? If that's the Gophers. 
That is the Golden <laughs> Gophers. <laughs> well, then we're, yeah. Alex, you're basically Bob Dylan. You're basically Bob Dylan, except that Bob Dylan uh, dropped out. Except you were the highest <laughs> level and he was the lowest. I don't, I can't actually, I think it was just because he was like a freshman, but I couldn't f- figure out what he was trying to study. Um, but anyway, he shifts from kind of being into rock and roll to being into folk music in college, whatever. I think it's kind of the, the neighborhood he's in. So there's like a, um, so he actually, Bob has a quote. He says, the thing about rock and roll is that for me, it wasn't enough. There was, there were great catchphrases and driving pulse rhythms, but the songs weren't serious and didn't reflect life in a realistic way. I knew that when I got into folk music, it was more of a serious type of thing. The songs are filled with more despair, more sadness, more triumph, more faith in the supernatural. I'm like, what? Uh, more deeper <laughs> <laughs> ghosts, uh, more deeper feelings. And then, so in college, he lives in a frat and he, uh, he starts performing at this uh, coffee shop called the 10 o'clock scholar. Of course he did. Um, and he gets, involved in the and i'm not making this word up the dinky town folk music circuit so in the 50s and 60s this like coffee house which is now like a yoga studio it was like a video store (laughs) um but anyway it was like it was like this coffee house that had like i don't know these guys but like spider joan corner i've read these articles where i'm just like who uh dave ray and then bob dylan spent their early performances doing coffee shop gigs like acoustic guitar um and this is when he starts calling himself bob dylan instead of bob zimmerman because uh he reads uh dylan thomas poet who wrote um do not go gentle into that good night uh oh. rage rage against the dying of the light we've heard it so yeah so he he reads that and he goes by bob dylan and he actually legally changes his name later to bob dylan um and yeah, he, he says zimmerman's not the he says something along the lines of like you're born and you have the wrong name and you know you call yourself what you want to call yourself basically yeah, yeah. um so <laughs> Uh, Dylan drops out of college at the end of his first year, like all our favorite musicians. Shaking my damn head. <laughs> like all our favorite uh, people in music, he just says, fuck college. So he didn't give a shit about his future then. So it's 1960. Saying. He moves to New York City uh, from Minneapolis. And uh, he moves there to visit. This is weird. I didn't know this. He wants to visit. So his big idol is Woody Guthrie. He wants to visit mm. Woody Guthrie in the hospital because he's dying of Huntington's disease. So Bob Dylan goes to visit Guthrie. What is Huntington's disease? I didn't look it up. Here, <laughs> I'll terrible. look it up. But uh, so uh, big influence on Dylan. So he Dylan goes and visits him in the hospital, hospital, and that's where he also meets um, Ramblin' Jack Elliot, who's a protege of dude. Um, Woody Guthrie. Huntington's two things. Huntington's disease is a fatal genetic disorder that causes the pro- uh, the progressive breakdown of nerve cells in the brain. See, these are the diseases I like. Don't want to know exist. Yeah, it deteriorates. <laughs> I'm just like, nope. Like brain aneurysms. Yeah. I'm like, I don't want to ever think about that. Uh, a person's physical and mental abilities during their prime working years and has no cure. So, Fuck that. and the other thing is, Rambling Jack Elliot apparently is good friends with our family friend Kurt. I met ramblin jack elliot through our friend kurt i went to uh like an outdoor so kurt our friend our mom and dad's friend kurt who's been a musician forever um and is like knows joan Baez and shit he does a he works with a program i think it's called bread and roses and joan Baez heads it and it's like it brings like live music in into, into <laughs> it brings live music into i think the pri- prisons oh shit i think um i should have looked this up before um but i so i went to a concert and it was jump bias wasn't there but it was like kurt played and like a couple people played and then i we went to say hi to him and kurt knew i was a musician this is probably actually more like seven or eight years ago it was a while ago and um and he said uh i was kind of an up-and-coming singer and he said he was talking mind reader he was talking to this older guy probably like 80 years old and mom and i walk up and kurt like gives mom a hug gives me a hug and he's like oh 
Emily, you know Ramblin' Jack Elliot, right? Like, you know who that is? Yeah. And like introduces me and I'm just like, fuck yeah. Because like, yeah. I was like getting into Bob Dylan at the time. I absolutely knew Ramblin' Jack Elliot. So, yeah. And he's, he's yeah, it was. He's one of those guys who's like kind of every one of your favorite like folk singers, favorite folk singers. Yeah. Like, and he's, he's, he's like before. Bob anyway, Dylan. Well, they said he's the, yeah. pro, he's the protege of Guthrie. So he's like, he's like a bridge between Guthrie and, and Bob Dylan. Nice. That's the way I think of him. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so, he, so it. Dylan meets him and then Dylan starts playing around Greenwich village famously. Um, and, uh, becomes friends with Dave Von Ronk, Odetta. Uh, oh shit. I, know. I love Odetta. I love Odetta. Yeah. Wow, she's always hitting her guitar. Yeah. Uh, new lost city ramblers and then the Clancy brothers, some guys I haven't heard of. Um, and then so in April, so he moves there in like, January of 61 or something. And then by April, he already gets a gig, a two week uh, gig at a Gerd's Folk City supporting fucking John Lee Hooker. Oh, shit. So this is kind of a part of his big break. And then from that gig, a New York Times writer, uh, Robert Shelton, he sees him play and he publishes a review. Among the newer promising talents deserving mention are a 20 year old. Uh, Latter-day Guthrie disciple named Bob Dylan with a curiously arresting, mumbling, country-steeped manner. Okay, so this is his big break. He's in the fucking New so York Times. So they don't have the word folk yet? They're calling it country-steeped. No. <laughs> I, I want to say, ugh, I, yeah, I want to say they do have the word folk. I, I could be wrong, but I mean... Yeah, it's so so then he... The so spot. I think they do, though, because that, that same month, Dylan plays harmonica because he's, he's a fucking decent harmonica player he's like i think he is anyway he's so okay. he plays harmonica on a folk folk singer carolyn hester's album a third album and then this brings him to the attention of uh columbia records producer john hammond who by the way i was so I, i'm currently rereading for like the third time billy holiday's autobiography lady sings the blues and i was reading it today at lunch at work and she's talks about she's talks about getting picked up and she mentions a guy named john hammond with columbia and i'm like so I read this today about Bob Dylan, and I was like, is that the same fucking guy? Yeah, sure enough. John Hammond um, is instrumental in... Uh, so he signed Bob Dylan, Billie Holiday, Bruce Springsteen, Benny oh, Goodman, Teddy Wilson, Count Basie, Big Joe Turner, Pete Seeger, Aretha, Flank, Aretha Franklin, George Benson, wow. Leonard Cohen, wow. fucking Steve Ray Vaughan. Wow. Yeah, this guy is huge in Columbia, right? Um, Columbia Records. Columbia yeah. Records is what I meant, <laughs> obviously. Um, and, uh, and he was apparently largely responsible for the revival of Delta Blues artist Robert Johnson and bringing his music back. Wow. So this guy's a bad... As we would say, a bad bitch. Bad anyway. mama, jamma. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, so he, so this is Bob Dylan getting picked up, and he's already in the folk scene, right? That's what he's doing, even though he played some rock and roll. Um, so his first, uh, his first four studio albums with Columbia are all acoustic guitar, folk style, um, him playing harmonica, him alone, right? Um, so at age twenty-one. Fucking, I hear that shit and I'm just like, wow. Bums you the fuck out. It really does. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and and in, in the Beatles vein, his first album is mostly covers. So he releases at age 21, 
His first self-titled album is just called Bob Dylan. It's 1962, and it's mostly traditional folk songs. So it's got House of the Rising Sun. It's oh, got Man of Constant Sorrow. Um, it's got uh, See That My Grave Is Kept Clean by Blind Lemon Jefferson. It's got Fixin' to Die by Buckle White. Dude, I thought that Man of Constant Sorrow was written for that one movie. It turns out it's, it's not. A, it's a traditional folk song. Oh, it, shit. It's, one of the, it's like House of the Rising Sun where it's, like, day. Where it's yeah. like, who the fuck wrote this song? Like, yeah. it, like I was looking up online and it's like traditional folk song. I just pictured song. George Clooney. <laughs> we all do and is, and you, is you isn't my constituent and <laughs> is that john goodman in that movie That's, it, he is in it but he's not the one who says that okay um but so bob it'll say like traditional song arranged by bob dylan it's like it's like john henry or a blues song where it's like we don't really know who the yeah. fuck wrote it right um so anyway so that's his first album it has two original bob dylan songs it's talk in new york and song to woody which is a song to woody guthrie that's like really beautiful um the second out so that's 1962 so first of all i was like looking at his discography and i'm like he's he's just like cranking out albums he's got an album 62 63 2 and 64 like 2 and 65 66 67 68 60, or whatever 69 so he's just like cranking out albums but so he does 62 bob dylan 63 is the freewheeling which is more of him doing his own songwriting it's got yeah. a picture of him great uh, great album title. him in greenwich village uh with Suze rotolo he's got his arm around her isn't that where we rented a car last year um i've played you and i played an open mic on the same street oh, and shit. it's gonna fucking kill me what the street is called because when i when i was living briefly briefly living in new york i like looked up where is the freewheeling shot that picture yeah. and it took me to this really short street in greenwich village um in the west village and uh oh it's gonna kill me what it's called and uh and i was like i want and i found a bar on there that plays live music and i was like i'm gonna play so here. we played on the same street you played on the same. We played on the same street. You oh, and I did. Sick. Radio Keys did. Yeah, back in like twenty. Yeah, if you look up Freewheeling album Bob cover Dylan street, out. oh, it's gonna kill me. Anyway, um, yeah, look that up. But so, so Freewheeling is again all folk, and it's a lot of protest songs. It's got Oxford Town, mm. which is about James Meredith's ordeal as the first black student to risk enrollment at University of Mississippi. It's got. I got it. By the way, it's Jones Street. It's Jones Street. I knew it was something too easy to like. So yeah. it's like a block near West Fourth. Yeah, so we, we've played on Jones Street. And I, I used to go there when fun. I was really broke. Why didn't you tell me the historical significance? Of I that? feel like I might have at the time. because I, I definitely too, Was I just too done off Jameson at that point? No, I think... Uh, <laughs> I think I don't know what it was. I, I think I definitely told you because that's the reason I went to this bar there. I can't remember. It's like a piano bar. And I used to go there to see live music. And you, it's it's one of those weird New York bars. It's like, oh, this is a chew drink minimum. And I was like, really? I think we went. Didn't we go I to was, that bar too? We did. We played it's like it. an underground bar with like a bunch of games and shit. No, this is the bar we played. So it's a two. Oh. So I used to hang out there before we played there. And it's a two drink minimum bar to like hang out and watch the music, which is like hmm. so annoying. It's like, I just, just let me get like one drink so i would like go there i was so fucking broke and i would order like their cheapest glass of wine and this is in 2011 it was like 18 bucks and i was like i'll yeah, fucking pay that student, like, because i want to because i want to hang out here god yeah and walking so 10 miles a day yeah i was walking a lot more than that um so anyway but it's so so eating yeah so crackers. that's that's free <laughs> eating crackers <laughs> i was eating a lot of uh like there there were these little trucks that had like coffee and a scone for like a dollar and You're i like, would get that every yes. morning <laughs> fuck yeah so anyway um so the freewheeling uh comes out in 63 and then uh at that time uh bob dylan and joan Baez, so who was a little bigger than him at the time and she kind of started she started covering a few of his songs she actually has an album called any day now that uh, i think 
dad or Carl I inherited from them. And it's all Bob Dylan songs sung by Joan Baez. And people say she's like a more palatable like singers to, to hear Bob Dylan songs. Like, yeah. cause she's so, you know, and, uh, and so she was actually kind of bigger than him and she started covering his songs and then bringing him on stage and be like, no fucking this guy's special. Listen to this guy. And so she's a big part of kind of bringing him up. They were too. hooking up. They were definitely dating. Um, and Suze Rotola, who's on the, this might be a rumor, uh, cause I didn't Google this, but I'm just remembering this. Suze Rotolo, who's his girlfriend on the cover of the freewheeling. Oh, it's a cute cover too. They look right. cold and they're like cuddling. So and they walking. were, they were dating for a while and then he, apparently started kind of hanging out slash hooking up with Joan Baez and Suze Rotolo heard about it. And the oh, rumor, the rumor is that she terminated a pregnancy because she heard about it. Wow. I, yeah. Sweet I, girl. That, yeah. So that's, that's oh. kind of sad. But anyway, so, uh, and then, uh, can we so, talk about what's on the freewheeling Bob Dylan real quick? Sure. It has blowing in the wind girl from the North country. Don't think twice. It's all right. Right. And, um, though, I mean, it has a lot of other Oxford great ones. Oxford Town, Oxford Town. But those are like the, the big ones. Blowing in the Wind and Don't Think Twice It's All Right. Those oh, that's are huge. Gigantic that's fucking, songs. He's 22 years old. He's Blowing in the Wind. Those are fucking folk. Okay, anthems. so so there's that. Yeah, huge. So he starts. So they, uh, him and Joan Baez sing together in March on Washington in 1963, a uh, big part of the civil rights movement. So, so that was with Martin Luther King? Yeah, there, I, I've seen a picture of Joan Baez. Walking Junior? with uh no Joan Baez no, walking I said with Martin Luther King. <laughs> no, I knew it's Junior. <laughs> it was like Joan Baez Junior. No, I've seen a picture of her walking with him. I can't picture a picture of him and Bob Dylan together, but I've, I've definitely it was the same. They were in the same place at the same time. Um, and then so his third album is 1964's The Times They Are Changing. So again, it's 62, 63, 64. Him pumping out these albums is fucking crazy. It is insane. Um, so anyway, and he's in his early 20s, which is also fucking crazy. And this is more politicized. He's got Only a Pawn in Their Game, um, The Lonesome Death of Hattie Carroll is one of those songs about like a black hotel barmaid uh, who died by a young white socialist. Um, I hadn't heard that before, but I looked into it today. Ballad of Hollis Brown. Um North Country Blues, uh, and then he's got a couple love songs, Boots of Spanish Leather, and then my favorite, One Too Many Mornings. But it's all folk. It's all acoustic, harmonica. Yeah, the times they are changing are like the... That's like the song. Times they are And uh, the other songs, um, I don't think many casual fans would be uh, familiar with, but... Definitely, times are change. They are changing. Like you can't ignore that one. Oh yeah, and, and and it's clearly a political song. And what's reflecting what's the fun times. about that one is it was one of the last ones recorded on the album, from what I'm seeing here on Wikipedia. Ooh. So it means he recorded a bunch of other shit and, and then, then recorded it. So it's like they they didn't even know what the he album maybe was be he wasn't ready to to record it yet, or maybe he hadn't written it all yet because right. a lot of it the, there are two sessions. Um, Three sessions, maybe. I'm seeing August 1963 and October 1963, like oh, early August and late October. Yeah, which is close, but yeah, yeah. But it's still pretty. What's like? Uh, Sorry, early August so and October. Months, so yeah, that's two and, that's and a half a months pretty, apart. Yeah. So he recorded a bunch of tunes in August and then came back and recorded 
Times there are a change in when when the ship comes in, the lonesome oh. death of Hattie Carroll, and then finally a week later re- recorded a Restless Farewell. In oh, October. Restless Farewell is and like we recorded that one on Halloween. Ten minutes long, maybe not ten minutes long, but Restless well, Farewell five is and a half, but close. Really, yeah. it's it's long and uh, it's a gorgeous. Song. I have it up here, so I'm just being a dick. No, you're fine. Um, <laughs> anyway, I'm like it's like ten minutes long. I'm like um, actually, it's five <laughs> minutes and thirty two seconds long. So um, so uh, so yeah, and then in 1964, um, sorry. So in 1964, he releases his third album and his fourth album. So the times they are changing drops in 1964. And then also in 1964, he releases another side of Bob Dylan, which I'm like, how the fuck (laughs) does he have time? Anyway, (laughs) and it was recorded in one night, June 9th, 1964. Um, He records another side of Bob Dylan. And it's a little lighter. It's a little less politicized uh, songs. There's some kind of funny songs like... um, to Ramona, uh, I don't believe you. She acts like we we never have met. And then uh, the the biggest one you probably know is "It Ain't Me, Babe," which oh, sounded yeah, yeah. like a, "I'm not supposed to be your lover," but a lot of people thought it was like sort of a metaphor of him being like, "Hey, I'm not going to be like your um, like your leader or your uh, how do they say it like uh, your spokesperson yeah. for like politically. Oh, this, like I, I'm just a fucking oh, musician. Like ba- like movement. yeah, that's yeah. not me. It ain't me, babe." You know, so that that was a big uh, big change. And um, anyway, so 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 he does that, and then so he's got four albums under his belt. He's like fucking twenty three years years old. It's in three years. So sixty, sorry, so sixty sixty two is his first album. Sixty three is his second album, and in sixty four he releases his third and fourth album. I've never like looked at the years before, and I'm just like, what? And they're all just in these insanely amazing albums but then in uh on march 22nd 1965 he releases bringing it all back home which is a split record so it's a record so it has an a side and a b side the a side is electric and the b side is acoustic oh, shit. and it fucking opens up with subterranean homesick blues which is johnny's in the basement mixing out the oh, medicine yeah, yeah. i'm Great in the pavement Think about the government so it starts with that and then it she belongs to me maggie's farm uh, Love Minus Zero and The Limit. Outlaw Blues, which the White Stripes cover. It's, uh, oh, I wish I was on some Australian mountain range. I love that song. It's a good blast in the car song. On the Road Again, and then yeah. Bob Dylan's 115th Dream. And then the acoustic side is just four fucking songs. It's Mr. Tambourine Man, Gates Damn. of Eden, It's All Right, Ma, I'm Only Bleeding. What is this album again? It's called uh, Bringing It All Back Home. It's got him Damn. with like, I think it's like a cat, and then there's a woman in the this back. Is a banger. Yeah, and then it's got It's All Over Now, Baby Blue. Um, so he releases that in March 65. In 65, he's again, just like 64, going to release two fucking records, which is crazy to me. So in, uh, in March, he releases that. So it's half electric, half, half acoustic, right? Mostly electric, though, if you look at the number of songs. Um, and then July 20th, 1965, he releases a single, Like a Rolling Stone. So that's obviously huge, featuring huge. this really rock and roll sound. Because like the... A side of bringing it all back home is electric, but it's still pretty folky. And like a Rolling Stone is just like big and loud. It comes with that piano. So, um, so that's going to be the opening track to his sixth album, which is going to be released in August of uh, '65. But in July, he just releases that one track. So this is like at the same time that the Beatles are doing their like super like lightweight, kitschy. '65. Yeah, yeah, they're not doing anything exciting. (laughs) Yeah, they're doing their like. I don't think Rubber Soul's out yet. Right? No, that's sixty-seven, yeah. I think. And 
So so like a Rolling Stone is so this is a really transcendent sound for yeah. the pop that's also going on in the world. Like fun fun fact, like the um, Beach Boys, and yeah, the Beatles, and I uh, I'm just probably trying to like sound cool in this little fact, but it's it's a true story. Um, I inherited my grandma's record player when I was like 15 or 16. I got a bunch of vinyls from my parents, and uh, and it included uh, the album. Um, Highway 61, which starts with, opens with like a Rolling Stone. And uh, I blew out our speakers blasting that at our house. Like I was home alone and I was on the second floor and I just cranked it. And I had these little shitty speakers and it never happened to me before. I like cranked it as loud as I could. I put on like a Rolling Stone and I was like walking around the whole house so I could hear it. Just because I was like, I, you know, was in love with it. And then at one point I just heard it just drop out and I was like, what happened? And later (laughs) my dad's like, you fucking blew out the speaker. Anyway, (laughs) anyway. Sounds like dad. (laughs) That's 16 year old me. Um, But uh, so anyway, so before, so before, so he releases the single like Rolling Stone and it's got that whole rock sound, Um, but he's not going to release Highway 61 Revisited yet. So, but, but five days after he releases the song like a Rolling Stone to the public as a single, um, on July 25th, 1965, uh, he performs at the Newport Folk Festival. Oh, shit. Um, the Folk Festival. The Newport Folk Festival. Um, what was the year again? One more time. 65. 65. So Bob had played it before. In 1963, he performed like Blowing in the Wind with Joan Baez and Peter, Paul, and Mary. And then he played it again in 1964 and did like Mr. Tambourine Man. And like it was very... It was just him and an acoustic guitar, and he'd play his... It, it fit right in with all the other folk acts where it was just acoustic guitar so and vocals. So I have the lineup here. Do you want to hear? Of who, 65? Yeah, of 65. Sure. So it was Joan Baez, Bob Dylan, Maybell Carter, Sunhouse, Mississippi John Sunhouse, Hurt. fuck. Mississippi John Legend. Hurt. Peter, Paul, and Mary, Pete Seeger, Eric Von Schmidt, Odetta, Lightning Hopkins, the Paul Butterfield Blues Bands, which were elect, they were electric. Well, Hamilton, I'll get, in, Camp I'll and get Gordon into Lightfoot. that. So it's a lot of a so, lot of acoustic shit. So the Paul Butterfield Blues Band is uh basically who he got into his band to play electric with him. Um Mike Bloomfield and Barry Goldberg. So basically so he'd played it sixty three and sixty four and he'd done his little acoustic shit and everybody was into it, right? Um so the Saturday of the festival so he's supposed to play on, to play on Sunday. So the Saturday, July twenty fourth, he plays um uh, three songs at like a workshop on stage and it's exactly what they would want to hear. It's all I really want to do. If you got to go, go now and love minus zero. It's all, and it's all going to be acoustic. Um, and that's at a workshop the day before his set. That's what he's planning to play. Um, and it's said that that day is the day he decided he was going to go electric uh, and find an electric band to back him the next day for his scheduled performance. And uh, why... There's a couple, he basically, there's a few theories of why he made that last minute decision. One is that he just wanted to challenge the festival because he'd already released yeah. electric shit, right? He'd already yeah. released an album that was half electric. He was, he'd already released like a Rolling Stone. He was about to release Highway 61 Re- Revisited. And so it's like, okay, like he wants to mix it up. But then also it said that he, uh, he felt like the festival organizer, Alan Lomax, was kind of t- talking shit about the Paul Butterfield blues band, when he announced them, he kind of said something like condescending about them because they were electric. And Dylan's attitude was basically like, fuck it. They can't keep electricity out of this concert. Like I'll just do it. I'll do it. Like I'm their, I'm their golden child. I've done it twice and they love me doing what I'm going to do. I'm going to fucking go electric and see what's going to happen. So that was, that was a thought of, of what it's just like an elitist 
way of thinking, right? Like literally, I mean, just because these guys are plugged into amplifiers. Oh, you gonna, mean the? Yeah, yeah, I thought you yeah. meant Bob Dylan. I was like, no, the other guy. No, 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 the other He's guy. He's just like, yeah, oh, yeah. and now we have the fuck. And by the way, the Paul Butterfield Blues Band is fucking amazing. They are amazing. So yeah, yeah like I was blown. Well, they could do a lot of stuff, but um, and he plays the meanest harmonica I've ever seen, Paul Butterfield. Yeah. Um. So so anyway, uh, so. Bob Dylan's buddies with these guys and he sees them introduced by this festival leader and he's like, fuck this guy. Um, so literally... Is he just the MC or is he like a legit... He's like, the... Sorry, he's the festival organizer. Uh, so and he, also he tends to... Why would I he guess, put these dudes if he's like, I, nah, fuck them. Here's me on the microphone. <laughs> I'm sure somebody was like, we gotta book these guys. They're huge and they're kind of folk. And he was just like, oh, fucking okay. Um, mm. So... Uh, that Saturday night before Dylan plays on Sunday, he assembles a band, <laughs> which features two guys. Saturday from, night. Saturday night, he assembles a band, which features two guys from Paul Butterfield Blues Band. Um, and they rehearse at like a mansion uh, being used by uh, the festival organizer. Nice. The same guy. Um, they just like kind of take it over. So they have like one rehearsal, right? Um, so then Sunday, July 25th, Bob Dylan's set to play. Um, the typical set time is about 15 minutes, right? So he'd prepared three songs, so he's going to get on stage. Um, so his, first of all, they open his set by the master of ceremonies saying, ladies and gentlemen, the person that's going to come up now has a limited amount of time, Bob Dylan. That's a weird intro. Super weird intro. <laughs> it's a limited amount of time. It's like, what? So he opens with, We're trying uh, to get him the fuck off the stage ASAP. Here so he, he is. He opens electric, right? Um, he just opens with this full band behind him and he opens with fucking Maggie's Farm, which I ain't gonna work on Maggie's Farm yeah. no more. And it's electric in the recording. Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. So so it's not like he's taking an acoustic song and making an electric. Yeah. This was on his uh, electric side um, of his album that, that, yeah, that had already been released earlier that year. So it's like, and there's a couple lyrics in that song that I'm like, oh, they kind of, they kind of, stand out because like what he was trying to do he didn't want to be like a martyr's not the right word but like like a spokesperson for this folk political movement he was kind of getting sick of it so he was trying to back away from that he didn't want to be put into a box so there's a couple lyrics in maggie's farm and it's uh one i picked out was well i try my best to be just like i am but everybody wants you to be just like them they say sing while you slave and i just get bored i ain't gonna work on maggie's farm no more Yes, I mean, I'm not breaking any news here. He has some incredible lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> he has some amazing lyrics. He says uh, in one, it's, while I wake up in the morning, fold my hands and pray for rain. I got a head full of ideas that are driving me insane. So I think he's kind of saying he's trying to break out of this folk box. Yeah. He's like, fuck you guys. I don't want to work on Maggie's farm no more. Like that seems like a metaphor. Well, for when, when he goes electric, it's not just his band. It, he has like, he's playing like a Fender Stratocaster. Like he. Yeah. yeah and we're going to talk about that yeah, guitar. Okay, cool. <laughs> no, it's, it's badass. Um, he's, he's He's literally picking up an electric guitar. You're right. Yeah. That no one's seen him play live before. So to be clear, like he released basically, um, sorry, uh, bringing it all back home. That was half electric and half acoustic. And he was obviously playing electric guitar in it, but no one's seen him playing it live, live yet. Yeah. So this is the first time he's played it live. Um, so he opens with Maggie's farm and then he plays fucking like a Rolling Stone that he released five days before. So maybe his fans that bought tickets to this, Either they haven't heard it or it's not it's not why they bought the ticket, right? Yeah. Um, so he plays fucking like a Rolling Stone. Like anyone can be like, yeah, that's one of his greatest songs. Um, and uh, 
So I pulled some lyrics out of that one as well because I think they're important. Uh, you, used, you used to be so amused and Napoleon in rags with the language that he used. Go to him now, he calls you, you can't refuse. When you got nothing, you got nothing to lose. So yeah. there's another, like some people have said Napoleon in rags is like, that's supposed to represent Andy Warhol. Mm -hmm. I think it's a little <laughs> more talking about himself. Um, you I used love to be so interpreting shit. It's I love it so too. It's so hilarious. fun, but it's like I, I, I would look at that and say, well, he's kind of talking about himself. He used to be so amused with Napoleon and rags and the language that he used. Go to him now. You can't refuse. When you got nothing, you got nothing to lose. He also says, uh, you say you never compromise. Let the mystery tramp. But now you realize, like the mystery champ himself, maybe. But now you realize he's not selling any alibis. Um, and he's anyway. So how does it feel? He's that whole song you can kind of look at, but. He says at one point, everything is bound to change. Um, so pawn that diamond ring, then tell me how does it feel. Like there's some great, because he's kind of looking at the folk world as saying, hey, you guys are trying to put me in this little box and all these like, yeah. you know, privileged, beautiful people that can listen to folk. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to be the pawn in your game. Anyway, um, then they perform a song that I wasn't familiar with called Phantom Engineer. Um, and then they do an early version of my actual favorite Bob Dylan song, which is it takes a lot to laugh. It takes a train to cry. Um, but after the third song, um, they actually, the whole band leaves the stage. So they play three electric songs. There's booze and cheers, booze and cheers, booze and cheers immediately. He, he fires into Maggie's farm and there's booze and cheers. Um, because people are like, what the fuck? They're expecting blowing in the wind, right? They're expecting that shit. Concert. No. <laughs> <laughs> I wish people would be like, is that a fucking electric guitar, Stuart? No, but like, yeah, it's just out of control. So anyway, so um, so they after the third song, they leave the stage, and then this guy comes back on the mic. His name's Peter Yarrow. I don't, I can't really figure out what he's. I think he's like one of the announcers, and um, he says, oh, he like tries to coax Bob Dylan back on, and this might all be kind of like a staged thing. Um, so Bob Dylan ends up coming back, um, but then he realizes he doesn't have. Uh, the right harmonica. He has like the wrong harmonica. So he like kind of comes at Yarrow a little bit and he's like, what the, f what, what are you doing to me is what he says on the mic. He says, what are you doing to me? This is the wrong harmonica. And so then Dylan asked the audience, uh, does anyone have an E harmonica? And within a few moments, a bunch of harmonicas get thrown on stage. Yeah, that's Bob Dylan fans for you. They just fucking carry harmonicas around because it's, you know, 1965. Anyway, um, so then he get then he uh, then he kind of gives the crowd what he what they want. Basically, he gets his acoustic guitar out, his tambourine, and he plays fucking Mr. Tambourine Man, and it's all over now, baby blue. Um, when he gets out his tambourine or his, you mean his? Acoustic what did I say? Sorry, his yeah. acoustic guitar yeah. and his uh, harmonica. Yeah, okay. Sorry, I read just tambourine. Want I just want to clarify. And then he plays yeah. Mr. Tambourine Man, and uh, it's all over now, baby blue. Which I've seen, I've seen this whole video, but those are very. Emo he does them very much. People are happy now. People fucking lose it, applauding. Yeah. Like they were booing the electric shit, and then he he literally like leaves stage. Apparently they do a four song, which I was kind of like but he has tricky a to figure out. Set Emily. And then yeah, he's supposed to play 15 minutes, and I think he kind of goes over. But there's a lot of like bullshit in between. Um, and so yeah, so he plays those two songs, which are like, and then uh, the crowd explodes with applause. Dylan does not return to the Newport Folk Festival for 37 years. Wow. But then he played in 2002, uh, sporting a wig and a fake beard. So anyway, so the reason... <laughs> well, oh. <laughs> I didn't look into that too much. I'm just like, 
okay. 2002 Bob Dylan, I, I don't know. Um, so <laughs> I don't know what he was doing. Um, so f- so some of the reasons people think he was uh, met with such aggression. So when he played those electric songs, he fires into Maggie's farm. And I've watched the video and like you can hear this really weird sound from the crowd. And it does sound like there's a lot of people that are like, it's not booing. It's just yelling. But it's like it's definitely a little bit of booing and a little bit of just weird it's response. Not, it's not it's not like respectful you know watching yeah. it and enjoying it it's like some kind of response that is it's, elicited it's that- a weird you can and crowd responses sound really weird no matter what but because it's just a bunch of noise and you can't yeah. really pick anything out but there's definitely like aggression coming from the audience and what's funny is i was reading about that year of the new folk, Fe- folk festival and some of the artists that talked about bob dylan set were like well you know what it was a really tough crowd that year and i'm like what <laughs> Like, like folk fans are like assholes all of a sudden. Anyway, I just I mean, couldn't. I mean, they booed Bob Dylan. Apparently, like, I think it's so funny that it's like, if we, yeah. If Speaking you... of elitist, that's some <laughs> fucking bullshit. No, it's it's super weird. And like, but there's evidence of this and I'll, I'm going to get there because there's like video of people reacting to it. Um, Hilarious. But there's a couple different ideas of why people think that people were angry about it the biggest idea is that the folk fans were outraged because he was playing an electric guitar just to dumb it down and that he was kind of backing away from his sort of uh uh protest type of songs and they kind of thought it was like oh he's just doing this bullshit rock and roll now this is not even though it's like dude no the bob dylan lyrics are are still going to be incredibly have incredible depth they're just not as you know they're just not acoustic like you want them to be um and so there's that uh that he just switched it up that he had a band that it was too loud whatever um another a couple uh musicians that were at the festival was like no no no, it was just really shitty sound quality and it sounded so bad that people were just booing it and i actually watched them play maggie's farm and i was like this doesn't sound good <laughs> like like it, yeah it's a video from 1965 so you're like all right the video is not great the sound isn't great but like yeah. they also rehearsed one time so, so you're like so you're like it doesn't sound great i would it not really, feel comfortable it really doesn't sound great it's like too fast it's like weird it's like the 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 amps aren't great like it just doesn't sound great so um pete, i couldn't imagine so yeah. pete seeger uh big folk guy at the time was backstage and he he was quoted as saying um he told the audio technicians uh get that distortion out of his voice it's terrible if i had an axe i'd chop the microphone cable right now so he thought it sounded like shit um he also said that uh he only wanted to cut the cables because he wanted the audience to hear dylan's lyrics properly because he thought they were important because he's a folk guy yeah um and then dylan's response to seeger saying that was that it was a dagger to his heart and it made him want to go out and get drunk Bob's words. Yeah, cutie pie. Um, And a lot of people thought uh, the audience was pissed off because his, his set was short. Um, but that there's kind of holes in that. So musician Al Cooper says, uh, the reason they booed is that he only played for 15 minutes when everyone else played for 45. Um, they were feeling ripped off. Wouldn't you? They didn't give a shit about us being electric. They just wanted more songs. But when you look at the actually actual set times, the standard set length was about 15 minutes, but they were just fucking around a lot. They were like tuning guitars and like, they were going electric for the first time. So they, (laughs) there was a lot of just like stage etiquette shit that they were like fucking well, yeah. up. I mean, there's, <laughs> like, they were just there's like, like a lot of shit. They're like, like uh, now we're tuning this When you're this not forever. ready to play a song, you look at each other and you're like, you're ready? You're oh, ready? Oh yeah, you like know, a lot that of that. So people are like, what the fuck? And again, like I've, I, you can watch the video. It, it doesn't, it doesn't sound great. Yeah. Um, but then, um, so Joe Boyd was the sound mixer at the 1965 Newport Folk Festival. Yeah. Sound engineer. 
sorry, it says responsible for sound mixing. So sound engineer, yeah, sound you're right, engineer, sorry. Yeah. Um, and he, he says, uh, I think there were a lot of people who were upset about the rock band, but I think it was pretty split. I think probably more people liked it than didn't, but there were certainly a lot of shouting and a lot of arguing and and, and sound, which, and this is a sound engineer talking. Uh, he's like, you can hear this in ballparks. Like it sounds like they're booing him um, because you don't get articulation. So a crowd shouting more and more at the end of Dylan's three songs actually sounded like booing. And he said, uh, I've heard recently a recording of that night and it doesn't sound to me like booing so much as like roaring, just kind of general like hubbub mm. between songs. And during uh, the announcer's attempt to get Dylan back on stage, he's like, I wouldn't, I really wouldn't be prepared to say it was 50-50 um, um, or whatever. But I think there was a segment of the audience somewhere between a quarter and a half that was kind of dismayed or horrified uh, of varying degrees or unhappy about what he was doing. So he does admit that like some people aren't happy about it, but he's like also when you think about sound quality, it's like you don't really yeah. know what people are doing. So he he's kind of disagreeing that it was a shit ton of booing basically. Um, Bob Dylan himself uh, believes the booing represented disapproval of his new sound. Um, he was interviewed that same year and he said, uh, uh, that was it. Uh, we, he said, I did a, I did a very crazy thing. I didn't know it was going to happen, but they certainly booed. I'll tell you that. You could hear it all over the place. I mean, they must be pretty rich to be able to go someplace and boo. I couldn't afford it if I was in their shoes. <laughs> so he's kind of doing this thing that Bob Dylan does where he's just like, well, they must be fucking rich. I, <laughs> like, I, I don't know. So I mean, it, it, he might not be wrong if like they go to a concert and fucking But then again, so here's Well, it the is, thing. And, he's ta- and he says about the... And he's talking... And he says in... um. The lyrics, I think in like a Rolling Stone, he's talking about kind of like these uh, uh, kind of beautiful people that are like kind of wealthy and um, privileged are who listen to folk music. And he's like kind of sick of that idea. And so he's kind of turning but them here, away and talking shit in a way Here's another too. thing though, Bob Dylan. Like if it was your concert specifically and they right. showed up to an only Bob Dylan concert yeah. and showed up and booed, yes, that would make sense. But it's a festival, right? You're gonna have festival. you're gonna have a bunch of different fans of a bunch of different artists. So that's very true. I, I hadn't really thought yeah, about that. Is it's like he's definitely a big drawer to this festival. Of course, like he's one of the he's big like names, a headliner, right? But and it is all folk fans, and they're again expecting fucking. And when he played his last two acoustic songs, they fucking lost, cheered. It. Yeah, they yeah. loved it. Well, I'm sure the sound was all dialed in by then because <laughs> they got but, the but at the same time, like you can't be like, oh well, they must be rich because they're booing me. It's like, well, maybe they don't like you because they like <laughs> other artists that are there. And it, and and I'll. And like I watched the video and I'm like, you know, this festival probably wasn't, they had the Paul Butterfield's blues band, um, but they weren't really equipped for this big electric band yeah. that he was trying to do with like Maggie's Farm yeah. and like Rolling Stone. So, so it didn't sound good to be honest. And, yeah. and I, and I think, I think obviously there was the folk people that were like, it's, I'm just mad cause it's an electric guitar. But also I think some people are just like, dude, this sounds awful. <laughs> um, so he goes, after that, he goes on to tour in 1965 and 66, uh, 66, he releases fucking blonde on blonde, which like, <sighs> you're not a fan of, no, it's fucking amazing. It's got like, oh. um, it starts oh. <laughs> off with everybody must oh, get I thought, stumped. It, dude, you, your it's body got, language, I was like, no, you, it's you don't just, like that? No, I'm just, <laughs> I'm so like annoyed at how, uh, quit, not annoyed. That's the wrong word. But like, it just like, what the fuck at how quickly he's pumping out these incredible albums. Oh, it's a year okay, later. Okay. 
He did two albums in 65, and then fucking Blonde on Blonde, I'll read you some tracks. Um, I Want You, Stuck Inside a Mobile with the Memphis Blues Again, Just Like a Woman, Leopard Skin Pillbox Hat, um, Fourth Time Around, um, Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands, um, Pledging My Time, Visions of Johanna. Like, it's, it's such a bit, like, this might sound like some nerdy Bob Dylan songs, but it's a big bob dylan album yeah and it just comes out of fucking nowhere and that's all electric obviously yeah um so he tours he releases that album so the next concert he plays directly after newport folk is in uh queens new york and he basically tells his band um his musicians like right they're before, more rehearsed at this point like they've been <laughs> let's together let's hope yeah, and it, it might it might be different guys too but uh, uh so this is a few months later and uh it says you know he had a conference with the bands that were going to play with him and he was basically like so at this point so his 65 66 tour he would do like half acoustic shit half folk and then he'd bring his band out and they'd play electric. So he was doing a 50-50. So, so he's he, really... He's just biting off radio keys. <laughs> so he's trying to please everybody. He's like, he's like, look, like this is my first four albums. Like I'm going to play yeah. you know, this for like an hour. And then he brings a band out and they fucking rock on, boom, like a Rolling and Stone. And no one's booing at this point. Um, there, No, there are. So 66, he plays... Uh, and he tells his band in the second concert, the concert right after the Newport Folk where he gets like a mixed. He just tells them, he's like, expect whatever. We don't know what the fuck is going to happen. Like, if people throw shit on stage, if they get mad, if they boo, fucking keep playing. We're just, we're just doing it. Like, just yeah. don't, just don't be surprised if like, if people just lose their mind. And Variety wrote an article about the second concert at Forest Hills in Queens, and it said Bob Dylan split fifteen thousand of his fans down the middle at Forest Hills Tennis Stadium Sunday night. The most influential writer perform writer performer on the pop music scene during the past decade, Dylan has apparently evolved too fast for some of his young followers who are ready for radical changes in practically everything else. Repeating the same scene that occurred during his performance at Newport, wow. uh, Dylan delivered a round of rock folk songs, but had to pound his material against a hostile hostile wall hostile. of anti. <laughs> of um anti-clackers i don't know this word what's uh, how do you spell it c-l-a-q-u-e-r-s i've never heard that I've never word. Heard i'm gonna google it real quick look it up c-a-l-q-u-e-r-s some of whom berated him for betraying the cause of folk music betraying folk music people would call him judas on stage they'd be like judas this is a funny word. So anti-clackers. So a, cl a clack is an organized body of professional applauders. And it was employed in French what theaters and opera word. houses. So like, I just pulled this quote and I was like, shit. So imagine you're, <laughs> imagine you're in like a French opera house in probably like the 1700s or right. some shit like that. And like you hire a bunch of people to be like... Right. Because you want well, to they're give Well, they're debuting this classical yeah, music you that like give some off the of it's controversial. That yeah. it's really good. Right. So you hire like these oh. professional applauders and that's what oh, a clacker so is. anti-clacker is somebody that's like... So an anti-clacker is someone like... Fuck this! Yeah, fuck this shit! Like, it's like this the people that bullshit! I liken that to like the people that like threw acid at the Mona Lisa. They're like, I hate it! It's like... What? People are so dumb. <laughs> People are like so on the wrong side of history all the time and it's fucking hilarious. Well, they don't like change is, is yeah. the big theme. Me um, so in the, there's a Scorsese documentary, No Direction Home. You've probably heard of it. Um, there's footage from his Manchester concert in 66 where uh, he's on stage and somebody yells, Judas! Like, you've yeah. probably heard of him. Um, during Quiet <laughs> Moment and, and, and Dylan replies, he says, I don't believe you, you're a liar. And then he turns to his band and he says, play it fucking loud and they launch into like a rolling stone 
Yeah. Which is so badass. Anyway, um, so I, I encourage you. Who the fuck you, is this fucking Judas? And then peasant in the funny is audience like, who's like, Judas. fuck Bob Dylan in the height of his power also, in 1966. It's, it's been like a year. It's oh been two God. years since he released the first album with electric music hey, on it. And friend, it's like, why this did guy's like, ticket, I'm friend? still not into it. Why and did you buy like, a ticket, friend? But what's funny is like a like a bunch of different dudes claim, so claim, claim that he said it like a bunch of different dudes were like that was me that said judas at the concert where it's like on on footage like that was me and they like they have all these statements and there's like four or five different dudes that are like here's why i said that man, people bum me people out people bum me <laughs> out anyway so like fuck that guy but like i love how he's just like play it fucking loud anyway so there's some great youtube videos i encourage you to look up um one is in there's like a 1966 video of bob dylan backstage and it's from the same uh, scorsese doc and he's got his little like big like uh like uh curly hair and his sunglasses and uh one of his like managers is talking to him and he's like yeah man the last show there was some really bad press they said that everybody walked out and bob dylan's like everybody walked out oh everybody walked out everybody didn't walk out i didn't see anybody walk out and he gets all mad and then he's like i'll walk out i'll walk out (laughs) (laughs) anyways it's just like great yeah you can tell he's like you can tell he's like i don't care but he 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 does care and so so that's great um and then there's my favorite probably my favorite YouTube video of all time is following his Newcastle performance in 1966. And it's 55 seconds. And it's just, I showed it to you right before we started this. And it's like five British people saying why they're, wait, your Newcastle performance, Newcastle. Okay. Okay. So they're saying why they're, why they're pissed off. Oh, why they don't like, why they hate it. Yeah. Why they, (laughs) um, and so I pulled some quotes. One is he just changed altogether. He changed from what he was. Um, I'm purposefully not doing the accent, but I really want to, but I won't. He just um, changed all together. About a year ago. I can't. Um, so <laughs> about a year ago, I saw him and I thought he was magnificent. Couldn't get any better. Thought he couldn't improve if he tried. Then he went really commercial with his backing group. And I didn't like that very much. I don't know what he's trying to do. <laughs> I think he's conceding to some sort of popular taste. I think he's prostituting himself. Not a, You know what? Not a horrible take if it weren't a horrible take. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Like, it's, like, very well thought out the way he said it. You can it. tell he's, like, just this total folk nerd yeah, that's, like, like this, it's not this a is, bad take yeah. in terms of his language, uh, but it's such a bad take in terms of, like, the reality of yeah, it, you know? Um, I totally agree. Um, And these guys are so serious, and they're so upset, it's and that's so why funny. it's so like, funny. Look at the look in their eyes They're like they're talking. And then <laughs> so this funny. one guy, this one guy, it's my favorite one. He's, like, the third or fourth guy they pull on, and he gets on, and he kind of looks around for a little bit and he just has like a quick quote and he says bob dylan was a bastard in the second half (laughs) and that's the electric half and it's like what (laughs) bob dylan was a bastard in the second half all right so he went went uh, back to the accent (laughs) and then another guy says i think the spirit of bob dylan's songs are being portrayed with this incredibly corny group behind him i like his earlier records but this i just can't stick so people fucking hate it yeah (laughs) some people it's a vocal minority of people like yeah it's it's a lot of the weird kind of folk and we watched another little short video from the uh don't look back doc that i have um that's like a probably a 14 15 year old uh girl i think debatable i thought she could have been older but she looks young to me she's in like a you know school relevant but she like meets bob dylan and she's so excited about it and um and she's like oh i just i love uh what song is she talking about so much i think it's a uh, it's like mr tambourine man or um i think it's the times they are changing it's one of his acoustic songs kind of folk songs and she's like i love it so much i love it so much he's like why 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 do you like it and he's kind of being a 
he's, he's kinda, definitely being he's kind of grilling her which yeah. she, honestly he's like 23 so he's like probably still a little uh angsty himself well he's been um, angsty his whole fucking life he's very angsty i i've seen him live he's he's still angsty um and then uh and then she says which is so fucking brave <laughs> to be honest she's like I don't really care for subterranean homesick blues. That's the first electric track on uh, yeah. on that album, right? Uh, that he released, right? So uh, she's like, I don't like it. Yeah. Can you imagine saying that to your hero? Like, oh, but I don't like this song. And he's just yeah. like, well, okay. And he gets all flustered. <laughs> and it's just like, well, he's like, I'm, and then he's like, well, I'm just playing with some new friends. You're okay with that, right? And he's, she says, like, uh, she says like, oh, it just seems like you're just having a laugh, which in like, british uh translation it's like you're fucking around you're, it seems like you're fucking around yeah. he's like well what's wrong with having a laugh and like he just kind of combats it a little but it's a it's a fun little piece of like it is clip good. To, yeah, yeah it's a cool little clip to watch bless her dude bless her bless her for yeah it's, it's but cool she's wrong but, <laughs> <laughs> but. They're, all, they're all wrong um and then so just to kind of close but, it up sorry go ahead sorry so mm-hmm. it's kind of like i kind of liken it to like listening to this is super random but like listening to sublime right like right. you love sublime what i got right you know, all those great songs and then you hear them do some like bullshit punk rock song with like oh no no doubt used to do it too yeah and they'd have like crazy shit and you're like song what i got but i really don't like that one song i saw red with gwen stefani well sorry that's what i was thinking of they did the then it's like and then and then the slow one is so much better i'm sure bradley noel look at you and be like hey we're just having a laugh man like you know like it's like the same thing yeah but it's a it, it's not wrong like it's a very subjective thing right well like, it's the whole theme of this this uh incident and why it was so weird is like people do fall in love with your music and when you want to change they're gonna fight against it and uh-huh. they want to put you in a box maybe and they want to say no bob dylan is the best folk artist of our time and then he moves into rock and roll or whatever you want to call it yeah and everyone goes no fuck that like they get upset over yeah. it and it, so I, I i i get it but totally. it's it's so funny how wrong they all were where they were like he's selling out he's getting poppy and it's like no he's writing like one of the greatest like yeah. albums of all time like highway yeah. 61 like fucking get out of yeah. here um and then nashville skyline comes later yeah so like, i'm gonna get there yeah. really quick so like i wanted to close with like it's crazy so so first of all everyone gets the fuck over it so we'll just fast forward <laughs> i mean people, like just for reference like people like <clears throat> Jimi hendrix are covering these songs like rolling stone well we're gonna get yeah, sorry i don't want to yeah we're gonna yeah, get to, i don't want to like step on, on to, your toes no you're you're yeah. totally on the right track um so first of all his guitar that he played at uh his fender strat that he played at uh at newport folk yeah i saw um, pictures of it was sold in december 2013 at chrissy's auction for nine hundred sixty-five thousand. i'm actually surprised it didn't go wow. for more yeah um and it's currently on display uh at through april 2019 at american writers museum in chicago as part of a bob dylan uh like um exhibit um so that's cool um and like then a, a really nice like uh star or, or sorry sunburst like fender right. stratocaster yeah um, and you can see the video of him playing it it's, we're in a black jacket yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and so july 2015 the guitar is uh publicly played for the first time in 50 years uh during a tribute set at the newport folk festival honoring the 50th anniversary of dylan Who plugging in at newport Who newport was like guitar? uh a lot of people um uh gillian think- welch uh dave rawlings uh, Willie Watson, the New Orleans Preservation Hall Jazz Isn't Band. Isn't it Gillian? Um, Gillian Welch? Gillian. Is it Gillian or I think Jillian? it's Gillian. Um, I'm only thinking of a know. song that references her, and I think it, they say Gillian. Um, and then uh, Jason Isbell, 
uh, played Dylan's guitar, and uh, one of the festival producers was like, Dylan's guitar is home. I want to know how Dylan feels about that whole concert, though. If he's just like, eh, fuck him. But I, I, I don't know. But um, I'm and sure then, he is. Dude, I feel like he's like that <laughs> all the time. He's kind of that mentality, and it's it's why you're right. I it fucking is, love him. For the him. record, you're right. It is Gillian Welch. Oh, you yeah. were able to look at okay. Yeah. yeah, I just I I there's a song uh, where they they reference Gillian Welch, and that's how I'm remembering yeah. it because I've only ever really read her name. I've just literally never heard that name. And no, I mean, she's I've heard fabulous. Her name, but I've never heard Gillian. I think is otherwise. typically with a J. I can oh, be wrong. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So uh, but and then so what? Weird. What drives me? What What's interesting to me about if you look at the trajectory of Bob. So um, 64, he does those. Uh, so let's see. Let's pull up so I don't fuck this up. 64. Um, so 62, 63, 64, he releases his four, first four albums. They're acoustic. Uh, he does two electric albums, one half electric and one full electric. Bring It All Back Home and Highway 61 revisited in 65. 66, he does Blonde on Blonde, which is a little, it goes back into some like, it's got like um, Fourth Time Around and some like mellower songs, but it's, it's, it's pretty upbeat and, and rock and roll. a sexual reference? Um, I don't know. What do you mean? Like blonde on blonde, like two women. What do you, what do you think that reference is? No. Blonde on blonde. <laughs> I don't. Um, no, I don't think it does. <laughs> you can look it up, but, uh, I, I don't think that's never. Let's never cross your mind one time. No, that's never you, crossed my mind. Okay. Well, I guess um, I'm the weirdo there. I'm the freak. Yeah, that's never crossed my <laughs> mind. Um, so anyway, um, so in uh, so he does Bonamon in 1966, and that's pretty. Um, it's still electric. It's still rock and roll. And then 67, he releases John Wesley Harding, which is kind of going back into like semi-acoustic instrumentation and kind of like folk songs, and it includes "All Along the Watchtower" yep. too. So there's that. Um, and then also, um, Dear Landlord, I Pity the Poor Immigrant. These are a lot of songs that Joan Baez covers too. Um, I'll Be Your Baby Tonight. It's kind of an easy, kind of breezy. There's not a lot of political shit on here. It's just a little, anyway, it's a little more back into the folk, uh, style, but maybe not as political. And then in 69, he takes a break in 68, the first fucking break he's ever taken. And then in 69, he releases Nashville Skyline. And he moves toward this country sound. And uh, Nashville Skyline, I can't get into um, <laughs> because it's my favorite. But it's uh, he did quit smoking before it. So his voice is all like kind of sultry and country. It sounds the best I think he's ever sounded. And it's 10 songs. And it's a lot of um, it's not I can't think of a kind of politicized song on there. Mm-hmm. Um, hearkening back to his old folk days. But it, it it's it falls into country. The first song is him and Johnny Cash, if you haven't heard it. Yep. Um, and it's uh, it's it's electric. Um, but it's mellow. I can't think of a, a great way to, great way to put it. Um, it's, I think it's less than 40 minutes long. It's short. Um, it's a lot of love songs. It's kind of outside of his realm. And I, yeah, it's, uh, it was big, it hit big in country music. Um, Chris Christopherson said about that album, um, our generation owes him our artistic lives because he opened all the doors in Nashville, when he did Blonde on Blonde and then Nashville Skyline, the country scene was so conservative, conservative until he arrived. He brought in a whole new audience and he changed the way people thought about it, about country music. Um, and he says even the Grand Ole Opry was never the same again. Um, mm. Yeah, so... Uh, hey, just to go back to the Blonde on Blonde thing, so I'm not completely crazy. What? Oh, Lord. <laughs> there <is> are the- <laughs> a, there's a bunch of people who think that it's about lesbian stuff, but there's also apparently this uh, play... 
or uh, this this theater production called Brecht on Brecht, which is apparently the same thing, blonde on blonde. And uh, I don't know. They they don't know exactly what it's about. There's also a lot of theories that it's about like uh, Andy Warhol being white, being blonde, and having white hair being blonde. So blonde on blonde. Right. So again, Andy Warhol comes into the Bob Dylan lexicon. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, no one really knows what it's about. But I'm not completely crazy <laughs> thinking that it's some weird. I'm like, sure. Yeah, somebody else had that idea. Um, never crossed my mind, duh. to be honest. And yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to throw you off. There. <laughs> <It's funny. laughs> I just think that was weird. All right. So anyway. Yeah, anyway, so um so yeah, it's kind of interesting to me that he sort of went electric uh for like basically two and a half albums and then sort of pulled back. If you've never heard John Wesley Harding, it's 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 verging on like a country album, but it sounds like an upbeat uh electric folk album. It's kind of mellowing out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not as like big rock and roll as like a Rolling Stone, and then boom, he like relaxes back in a natural skyline. So it's just funny how he kind of hits it. And then instead of being like, now I'm electric forever, he kind of backs up and does something totally different and goes in a different folk direction. Is is kind of, I mean, Nashville skyline is still like pretty electric, right? I mean, it has full instrumentation. And yeah, but do you think that when he goes electric, it kind of makes acoustic folk music kind of passe at that point? No, I think it survived pretty well and it still does to this Day. Yeah, I mean, to um, this but day, what I think, what I think was cool about it, and I and I could be wrong here, um, but what I think he ended up doing, maybe inadvertently, was kind of bridging a gap where folk music could also be a little electric too. Because mm. you listen to some of his ele- quote unquote electric songs on his on his albums, and it's like I would still listen to this. Yeah, he has an electric guitar and a band or whatever, yeah. but it's like Bob Dylan's 115th Dream on that album. It's like yeah. it just sounds like a folk song to me. It's like it's. <sighs> I'm trying to think of a good example of uh, somebody nowadays that kind of reminds me of that. I want to say Justin Towns Earl, but he's kind of full country. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I do you think folk what still I, means what just think, acoustic? So or? I think differently. I mean, we had a conversation about Americana in the last podcast. I got deleted because of my bullshit computer. But what I think is when Bob Dylan started to go electric... It made it it definitely the hardcore like folk acoustic fans like were against it, right? Right. But I think it kind of made the genre of acoustic folk a little passe. Like okay, all of yeah. a sudden people were like, Yeah, it's not that cool anymore. Like I'm more into this electric folk folk right. rock, and all of a sudden folk rock is kind of boring, right? right. Like because it wasn't really a thing before. Like you had Paul Butterfield, but that was more blues rock. Like it's not really Paul Butterfield folk is rock. like full yeah, blues. It's blues rock. Yeah. So there wasn't really like electric folk really until Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I mean Bob is did Dylan. he bring yeah. that in and then now we when we think about folk it doesn't necessarily have to be like a really bare bones acoustic So I, I think it or... has to do kind of like when grunge is brought into the world. All of a sudden when you bring grunge into the world, 80s metal is a little passé. You know what I mean? Like when Rubber Soul comes out, I want to hold your hands a little passe, you know? And I think kind of when That's kind Bob of how, Dylan yeah, went... Yeah, music Yeah, and I think when Bob progresses. Dylan went electric, all of a sudden that straight acoustic... Folk, like obviously it was a huge, huge thing. But I think that it it and started I- to shrink. The, the audience that started listening to that shrunk. And of course there's always going to be a solo person with an acoustic guitar 
with singer songwriter uh, storytelling lyrics. That's never yeah. gonna die. But right. is it like this giant cultural phenomenon, like it was in New York in the early '60s, like the same as it was when Bob Dylan was f- like fully acoustic? I don't yeah. think it'll ever get back to that point, right? Yeah, um, you know, a lot of people too. Uh, one thing I read today, and I I couldn't really um find that base for it but a lot of people did say that like um kind of bob dylan switching folk into this maybe pulling it into a little more upbeat maybe a little more electric um also maybe could have kicked kick-started um bluegrass and that's a big that's a big claim i think it's a big claim claim, yeah but i and i read that today and i was like oh okay like this kind of upbeat like i have to research that like i would too but like i thought that was interesting i was like well you know before that it really was just folk really was just like hey these are like you know it's storytelling and it's really simple i mean there's certainly there's certainly that today there's i mean that has never died there's always been people with an acoustic guitar singing singing um about whatever like that yeah. that's always going to happen but I, I i just think that it was like kind of like the hip cool thing to listen to in the early 60s and like they could you know kind of turn their nose up at rock and roll music yeah and feel good about doing that because they're kind of um elitist and and i mean how many times have we done that in our past where like i was growing up in high school and i was like i fucking hate country music i'll never listen to it you know like that kind of thing mm-hmm. and it's just people like to kind of be snooty about oh i used to think i hated things, country too right yeah. like people like to think that they're too good for something or something is they like to feel holier than thou about something right and with folk music in the early 60s mid 60s they certainly could feel that way and and not have any repercussions because they had Bob Dylan and they had Joan Baez and they had all these people. But then when Bob Dylan left, they were like, Oh fuck. Now what? Like, do we go with the rock and roll crowd that we (laughs) shit on for the last five years? Going for sure. I mean, look at what do you classify uh, Simon and Garfunkel as? Um, I think they're folk. I think they they also have, they have also have electric music too. Contemporary. And then, well, they got into electric mostly when Paul Simon kind of went his own way and did electric. But like, I think, I think it, I think, it 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 kept on yeah. without him. Um, that's my one example I can think of, kind of off the top of my head. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I think when they say they split, well, Neil, Neil oh, Young, Neil Young's a big one, right? Um, yeah. Like after Buffalo Springfield, Neil Young, folk. Right? Yeah. No, right? I agree. Yeah. I agree. I yeah. I, I He's put him in be a. The- biggest one i'm trying to think I put of a, well, other i put ones. him in a rock and roll rock and roll uh realm um because he's kind of got that big like drum beat and like vampire blues and like yeah i don't I, yeah i could put him as so folk. if we're gonna put Cat if, stevens yeah maybe? Cat stevens for sure so that's later he's what early 70s so and uh so if you're gonna put a bow on this what what would your like final oh final... Um, Sorry, I'm not so, trying to cut you off. No, you're fine. So one of the uh, one of the uh, so the the night that uh, that Bob Dylan uh, went electric, um, fuck. Sorry, I. Uh, all right. So <laughs> the night that uh, Bob Dylan went electric, uh, there was like a lot of quotes out there that basically said uh, half the. Uh, he left half the audience electrified and half the audience electrocuted. 
which is like so dramatic. But yeah, that's, that's like the way that. they... I love those kind of quotes, though. Yeah, it's just some weird, uh, you know, uh, New York Times writer or something said that, and then it got kind of lost in the way of, like, who said it. But yeah, that's 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 what I kept seeing over and over again is, like, electrified. Yeah. Because, like, people said that we're there, they're like, oh, I thought half the audience was into it, and half of them were not. And so it's... It's hard to say, but it was a it was uh yeah. it was necessary and uh I think we got some of his greatest albums out of it. I mean people like to cling to the past too. Well, it's, in, it's in cool all it's cool to see any just like Nirvana did when they did in utero and they were like, Fuck, never mind. We wanna do an album that's what we wanna do. Yeah. No matter if people like it or not. And it's like it's such a brave decision to make, especially if you're record producers or whoever are like, No, this is why no, Bob, people want your folk shit. And he's like, well, fuck that. I want to. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I want to write like a Rolling Stone. Can you imagine like a Rolling Stone on an acoustic guitar? Just it'd be very long. It'd just be just so like energy lit, like yeah. lack of energy. Like I hear that song well, when it just comes in, and I'm just like fucking amplified. Well, I mean, Hendrix played it at Monterey Pop Festival in 1967, and he like Hendrix, like we've talked about him before, like wishing he's like I feel like I could write songs like Dylan if I ever got my shit together. But Hendrix could not be any more different than like folk playing well, and, Bob Dylan. And Hendrix covered um he also so he covered like a Rolling Stone, which you told me recently. I didn't know that. That's cool. And then yeah. he obviously all covers the all along the Watchtower. And then Bob heard that and was like, ah, Well, fuck. I'm not gonna <laughs> fucking play that anymore. Yeah. Like that's his song now. Not in a mean way. He yeah, was just yeah. like, Wow, that's totally his song now. Totally. Like yeah. with a lot of respect. Um so yeah. So that is uh Bob Dylan going electric and uh, Nirvana going nice. unplugged. Nice. Yeah. And uh, we got I hope you learned it. something. We got through it. <laughs> There was some rambling, but that's so, what we're good at. Yeah, we always ramble. But yeah, we gotta, we're, we'll keep it short because we're already super over. But uh, Radio Keys News, we got a show this Friday um, at the Starry Plow in Berkeley, uh, February 22nd with Lottie Da, Roxy Rawson, and Tay and the Jangla Da's. It's going to be a sweet show. And then on the 24th, we have a radio appearance that will post um, the web link that you can check out. Um, that'll be in the morning at Sunday 10 a.m. Morning, yeah. Sunday morning, the 24th. And then after that, we're going to play Lagunitas Brewing Company in Petaluma. So excited. Yeah, that's going to be so fun. And is that's it three a three-hour set. I think it's three to six. Yeah, yeah. I think it is too. Um, um, and we'll, yeah, it'll be on our social meds and website and all that if you, yeah. if you so, do plan uh, on coming. Yeah, check us it's out. Free. Uh, Radio Keys Music is our Instagram. That's kind of the main thing we use. Uh, everything trickles down to like Twitter and uh Facebook from that. But we also have a website, radiokeysmusic.com. So please uh, lend us a, you know, subscribe on this podcast and follow us on Instagram. Uh, we love chatting with you and we love hearing your feedback. So uh, thank you again. Uh, I'm Stuart. And, uh, I'm Emily. This is Emily. <laughs> and uh, we're going to keep searching for that sweet, sweet soul, soul music. music.